Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. We are back on the Oz Network for the first time since before Christmas to do a full movie month dedicated to something or someone, uh, a birthday person. Uh, It's Jamie's birthday coming up, so happy birthday. You picked our birthday month. She shares a birthday with me, right? Yes, yes. The person we're covering does share a birthday with you. She she probably is the... My most favorite person that shares a birthday with me. Well, there's her and Sean Bean, so... uh... He's not as cool as you think. (laughs) He is, but uh, anyways, let's let's get to it. Uh, We are doing Jennifer Garner Month. Something that I've been pitching for a couple of weeks. (laughs) Uh, But we're kicking it off by covering her 2004, really her first major starring role in a movie, 13 Going on 30. A movie I have been pitching to do since we launched the Oz Network, believe it or not, uh, what, five years ago, uh, I have been pitching Let's Do 13 Going On 30, uh, as I absolutely love this movie, uh, and I, I I am not ashamed to admit it, and I will defend this movie to the death, and I am super pumped that we're doing this in honor of Jennifer Gardner's month, as well as three more movies that are going to come after this. My name is Colin, and you're rude and mean and sloppy and frizzy, and I don't like you at all. And my name is Jamie, and I need a fluffy pillow. Here you go. <laughs> Literally hands her a fluffy pillow. I, I don't actually. Okay, we'll stop lying, okay? Um, this is something that, uh, guess going back and doing history of wanting to cover 13 Going on 30, uh, when we launched the Oz Network, we tossed around a bunch of ideas, Ben and I, about what are some dedicated movie months we could do. And this fits in with our actor movie months. This will be the third time... Technically, fourth Haven't time. Have an Arnold one? You guys did an Arnold month. Not right? a month. We've just done more Arnold Schwarzenegger recaps than any you other actor. You should do an Arnold month and also a JCVD month. Well, we have a JCVD month that we've been planning for a long time. Uh, hello, Matt, if you're listening. Uh, Matt Dyson. Uh, <laughs> I think we announced that last year. We'll eventually get to it. But um, we've done Brendan Fraser month. We did Rene Russo month. Uh, technically, we did a Jonathan Taylor Thomas month where we split up both movies and television shows for him. Uh, so we, we we only pick we pick the stars that that we think need the attention, not that they need the attention. Hello, Jennifer, if you're listening, uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, but uh, the people who uh, we feel like don't typically get a month dedicated to them, but they are so amazing and so likable that you gotta talk about everything they've ever made. And like that's JCVD. Like JCVD, we'll get there, okay? And and you know what? Do you do you remember the uh, movie Bloodsport? My mom used to, like, ogle him so hard. Everybody's mom did. When he was doing the split, she was like, oh, baby. Yeah, everybody's mom did. And (laughs) speaking of everybody's dad who ogles. I mean, mean, now I ogle still, even though it's how many years old that movie, but. (laughs) Yeah. 
speaking of everybody's dad who ogles, let's talk about Jennifer Garner Month now. Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Alias. It made my list of top favorite TV shows of all time. I find a way to mention Alias almost every week when we cover 24, <laughs> uh, which we're doing right now, and maybe one day we'll get to Alias. Uh, I was a massive fan of Alias, and when this movie came out, I'm not going to lie. I didn't rush out to see this movie. I wasn't like, I have to see this movie. I mean, even though I love Alias and I love Jennifer Garner, I didn't rush out to see this movie. I mean, I caught it once it got to the cheaper theaters, you know, a month, two months later. But when I saw it, I just, I love this movie. And there's really one other rom-com. Did you go to see it by yourself? I did, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Uh, and how old were you? Yeah, I, I'm, what would I have been, like 22, 23 when this movie came out? Oh, okay. All right, it's appropriate, right? It's like no, but here's the thing: you on the surface, if anybody is wondering why am I so excited about this movie, we normally talk about Jack Bauer in Twenty Four or Arnold Schwarzenegger movies or you know Keanu Reeves movies or Tim Tim the Toolman Taylor grunting. I don't know, uh, but when I saw this movie, the really the only other movie I could think of to compare it to was uh, You've Got Mail. In that it was a rom-com that I felt like was equally trying to appeal to the male audience as was a female. Typically, rom-coms, they are looking to appeal to the female. They know the guys are going to be dragged to the theater anyways. If they're just looking for dollars, they don't care about that. But this, like You've Got Male, I felt like it told a male point of view, even though the male wasn't the main character, enough that I related to a character in one of these movies. And I think it, as much as I love Jennifer Garner, it was kind of Mark Ruffalo that really made me love and appreciate this movie when it first came out. Now, granted, she is absolutely brilliant in this movie, and it would never have worked with anybody else, but to get me to watch a movie like this, and I, I won't lie, I can't even count how many times I've seen this movie. I mean, when it came out on DVD, I watched this movie like almost every day for a while. I don't think I've seen it until I actually was with you. Well, I was going to ask that. Uh, you must have, no. because who hasn't seen 13 Going on 30? No, like I've, I've seen You Got Mail, but I never I never saw 13 Going on 30. Well, this is but the there, month... But there's so much, though, that I wasn't exposed to, even for, like, good movies and music before I met <laughs> you. You weren't exposed to anything good before you met me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not denying it. Uh, but the original pitch that Ben and I had been tossing around since 2017 was to do a good rom-com month. We did good horror month last year, but to do a good rom-com month, because I really loved You've Got Mail, I really love 13 on 30, Ben really loves Notting Hill, and we kind of just thought, let's fit in these movies that traditionally don't appeal to guys, but these movies did something right, and they appealed to us, you know? And, you know, I, I, this isn't a thing about, oh, we're snobby men, we don't like movies about women. No, we, we like movies about women when, when it's trying to appeal to men, too. You know, it's, it's like when people, this is going to be a weird comparison, and I hate that we're on this rabbit trail already, but when boy bands were so big in the late 90s, I don't know how many girls would always be like, oh, you don't like them because you're jealous of them. Like, no, we don't like them because it's not trying to appeal to us. Yeah. Nobody is in that boardroom saying, let's put together the Backstreet Boys because a lot of teenage boys are going to like these dudes. Like, that's not it. And yet this movie, it tried to appeal to all audiences. And we'll talk about even how it appeals to young people and old people. But I mean, I absolutely love this movie. Um, more than the other movies we're covering, and even though the other movies we're covering this month, I feel like typically would appeal to me more. Like, there's just something about this movie that just really works. I mean, y you can talk about when you first saw it, but if you even remember, oh, but... I don't, I don't remember. It was af it, after I was with you already at that point, but... But your thoughts on the movie, your first impression when seeing it? Um, I, I definitely think that, like you said, it appeals to both men and women. It's funny you mentioned boy bands and stuff, but I was thinking in my head, what else can I compare that to where... You know, 
regardless whether it's um, a girls group well women's group whatever or, or a man's group boy band um and you know tlc came to my mind and they are pretty much the biggest girl group out there but they they appeal to everyone yeah, and exactly. I think, hey, I, if you're listening, Ben, there we go. We got a defender of TLC. Well, I'm no, not the only true, one. It's true, though. Like, and I'm not saying that I didn't like the Spice Girls or or Destiny's Child, but I will agree that TLC for sure is the best. They're, they're the most cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A- and this movie is the TLC of rom-coms, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but we're going to cover so much in this movie because it, it's, it's so funny. Before we rewatched this movie last night, I already told you, I'm like, this, is, this might be a much longer episode than you're used to because typically your episodes go a bit quicker because you're very to the point. Uh, and sometimes you have no opinion at all. And, but, and I also never make any notes. You never make any notes. Never one note ever. Uh, <laughs> often I have to edit parts out where you're clearly thinking of the wrong movie that we watched 24 hours earlier. But, but you know what, though? You you clearly know how to run an award-winning podcast. Congra- well, congratulations, by the way, for, for all of you guys yes. for that. Congratulations. I am now an award-winning podcaster. It's not for this show, though. <laughs> Let's just tell people. Well, Listen I'm, to Off the Podium. I'm just saying that I can slack off and be lazy because you could pick it up. I can pick up the slack. Yes, I'm part of an award-winning podcast that is not what people are listening to right now. But if you want to listen to something good, listen to Off the Podium. But anyways, with this movie, before we even watched it last night, I told you, I'm like, I've got so much trivia about this movie. It's one of these things that, it's not like I have spent my life looking up trivia on this. This isn't Star Wars or James Bond where I will spend hours a day just looking up this one movie. It's just... Uh, when I saw this movie and the 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 DVD when it came out, the director's commentary for this by Gary Winnick, who sadly passed away not long after this movie, even though he's very young. I think he was 49 or 50 years old when he passed away. You said he was the director? The director, oh, yeah. Okay. His commentary was so good. And it's so funny that director's commentaries, I used to listen to all of them. I tend to skip most director's commentaries now because... It's just a lot of like, oh, and this was a really good scene. And it gets very pretentious sometimes. And sometimes they got nothing to add. But often it is the least likely people to be educational in director's commentaries that give the best information. I always said that one of the best director's commentaries I ever heard was Michael Bay's commentary for Bad Boys. Starring Will Smith, who slaps people, by the way. <laughs> uh, Jennifer Garner luckily survived Will Smith at the Academy Awards. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, with Gary Winnick's commentary at 13 going on 30, it wasn't just like a lot of insightful things of oh this is what the scene was really like it's it's basically get into the mind of a director and all the little things that add up that completely change the the smallest details how they change a movie so i had all this information that i've remembered for the last what 17 years now 18 years uh on the making of this movie and stuff that i've looked up even since then so, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a trivia machine in this episode. Of all movies, 13 go on 30. And you know what? We haven't talked about any of it. So if anybody's listening to this and they're surprised by it, I pretty much guarantee that I'm going to be just as surprised. Yeah, you will. Because but, even if we had talked about it, you would have forgotten in the last 12 hours. But, you know, I never make notes, so I may be all over the place. But, you know, I do want to bring up just, uh, you had brought it up slightly earlier, but how her ability to just act like a 13-year-old. Well, and, and this is this is like you said her first big movie, and I honestly have to say that now, however many years later, this movie probably is my favorite movie she's ever made, and she's had lots of great movies, but this probably is my favorite. Oh, hey, I mean, we're going to be talking about three other movies this month that I think are fantastic and super underrated. Uh, this movie, though, was kind of surprising at the time if you followed her career because 
she had Alias. Alias was, uh, what did this come out, 2004? So Alias had wrapped up its third season. It was in between seasons three and four when this movie, I think, was coming out. Um, by the way, season three, best season of Alias, despite most people thinking it's one of the weaker seasons. Season three, amazing. Uh, and she had done Daredevil at this point, which again was another action movie. It was it was slightly goofier and more cartoony than Alias was, but still it was an action movie. She was considered an action star, and what most people didn't realize is that when she got the job for Alias, I mean, J.J. Abrams basically handpicked her. She was even herself like, I am not the right person for this. Like, I, I'm not a physical person. Yeah, I'm not a I'm tough not, person. I'm not an action hero. Yeah, and the funny thing is, she is so much closer to the character she plays in Third Gone Thirty. I'm not even talking about you know as an adult. I'm talking about as an adult. She is basically the 13 year old Jenna Rink in this movie. That is what Jennifer Garner is, was like in real life. In fact, one of the trivia things of this movie is that when this movie was offered to her, and she was talking about it on the set of Alias and telling people about it. Basically, all her cast members and all the crew members were saying, like, yeah, you have to do that movie. From what you're describing, you would be playing yourself because <laughs> this is kind of her. She has this very fun energy, you know, kind of an innocence about her, uh, hilarious, like incredible comic timing. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the things that we'll point out the most is, is how good of a comedian she is. And she obviously has made such a career now that it doesn't feel weird to go back and see 13 go on 30 on her filmography. But in 2004, this was kind of a departure like nobody would have expected if jennifer garner is going to have her first big starring role you know outside of daredevil that it's going to be this rom-com where she essentially plays a 13 year old she she's doing tom hanks and big she's playing a 13 year old in an adult body yeah and she has such great chemistry with mark ruffle in this movie too oh it's it's off the charts like i like have everybody in this movie is just so good like, I was so happy. We covered The Adam Project a couple weeks ago, a movie that I actually thought Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo were the only really good things about. Um, I, not a bad movie, but I thought that they were much better than everything else in the movie. And it, it I was, like, so excited that they had scenes together, even though their screen time is limited. And they recreated that final shot from 13 on 30 on the set of, you know, Adam Project. And you could tell, like, they, they just love working together. And it is so natural with them. And, and the same thing with Mark Ruffalo. I mean, I know this is Jennifer Garner month, but with Mark Ruffalo, like, I walked out of this movie as Mark Ruffalo's biggest fan. And I walked out as Jennifer Garner's biggest fan as well. But Mark Ruffalo, I had seen him in some other movies. You know, he had a lot of praise a couple years before this for a movie called You Can Count On Me, uh, which was kind of an indie dramatic movie. He had done a movie with Robert Redford, The Last Castle. There's a movie which uh, has always been one of my favorites. I tried to show it to you and you didn't care for it called Ride with the Devil. It's an Ang Lee Civil War movie. Like, I love Mark Ruffalo, you know, in the way it's like, that guy's a really good actor. Yeah. And then when I saw this movie, I'm like, I am going to go out and rent every Mark Ruffalo movie I could find because he has... You did the same thing with Christian Bale. Christian Bale and Mark Ruffalo were like those two guys for me. Yeah. Where I'm like, I, I, it only took one movie for me to be like, there is something different about this guy and I have to see everything they've made. And I saw so many Mark Ruffalo movies, um, some of which I probably don't even remember the movies, but I, I found every Mark Ruffalo movie could because he's just, he he's so different. And the casting of him is so important for this movie as well. You needed to get somebody who would be very natural as a 13-year-old. Tom Hanks had that in Big. Jennifer Garner has that in this movie. For the guy, what sets this apart is that you're not getting, no knock against Matthew McConaughey. I mean, Jennifer Garner's done two movies with Matthew McConaughey. You know, he, he's another one of her favorite leading, leading men, I guess. But um, you can't do this movie with Matthew McConaughey. The problem that I always had with romantic comedies is it was in the male leads. I wanted to see a movie where there was a realistic guy and not some 
this is the perfect man, which that's what Mark Ruffalo is, you know? I didn't want to see Matthew McConaughey. I wanted to see this is a regular guy. He's natural. He's likable. He's sympathetic. And that's the thing you really miss by casting movie stars in movies like this is you get that sympathetic quality. Mm. And there's something so you just instantly feel for this guy. So much of it is how he plays it in this movie, but it's also just casting Mark Ruffalo, which was so unusual. And Mark Ruffalo, there's a lot of stories about Mark Ruffalo not wanting to do this movie and not wanting to do certain things in this movie, which was totally untrue. Really, all it came down to is he was hesitant because he wasn't sure that he was a guy for romantic comedies. Yeah. And it's funny, after this which movie... Which fair, because even Jennifer Garner was the same with Alias. Yeah, exactly. Like, like some people like, just don't know what they're capable of. Well, and, you know, Mark Ruffalo... You know, is this the direction he wanted? Did he want to become the next Matthew McConaughey? You know, this is pre-Dallas Buyers Club Matthew McConaughey. So, you know, obviously there's a bit of reputation with guys in rom-coms at that point. You're not going to get much else out of your career. Uh, But casting him is something that I don't think would have happened in any other rom-com. And it's funny because if you had done this as a leading role, I could see him as Tom Hanks in Big or Sleepless in Seattle or You've Got Mail, you know? It's that same quality, and that's what I think all these movies have in common, is it casts realistic people, and it goes on the female side as well. I'm saying the male side because as a male, I'm going to be watching movies, and I'm going to be probably identifying with the male characters a little more than the females. You're, uh, you're talking about, like, realism stuff. Can I just fit in there, too, with that? I know Pro- this is a movie about pixie dust turning somebody into an adult. No, 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 no not that at all. <laughs> okay. But, like, the Adam Project that we just watched and stuff, which obviously just came out, so that's going to be how Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo look like now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's no knock against Mark Ruffalo. He just looks his age now Mm -hmm. and he's still really hot. He was hot then and he's hot now, but he looks his age. But seriously, like Jennifer Garner, like does not age. (laughs) Well, she ages. She just ages very well. But seriously though, like she's barely aged. And and that's the thing when we were watching the Adam project and and it's not like she's had work done. Like she just looks the same. Well, well, we were watching the Adam project. You were commenting. You're, you're like, well, she doesn't look as young as she used to. And I'm like, well, Jamie, like, she, she she looks very young for her age and you're like well how old is she and I'm like well she's turning 50 next month and you're like alright I was going to say she looked about 39, 40 <laughs> like, like, that's the thing you you were assuming she was still you know 30 year old from 13 going on 30 but like no it's been and that's the other thing it's been so long since this movie came out I told yeah. you the other day that it's so weird that it is 18 years since 13 going on 30 came out yeah. and yet this movie flashes back to 1987 so more time has passed from 13 Going 30's release until now than there was in the flashback scenes since 13 Going 30. It's just, just, when you watch this movie, you don't see that same change in culture and in yeah. look and fashion that you had from 87 to 2004 as you have 2004 to 2022. Well, yeah, but, like even with the cell phone, how she didn't know what it was. Yeah. Could you think of anything nowadays from when the movie was made to now that somebody just would not know? Yeah. Well, well may- maybe like Alexa or something like that, but... Yeah, I mean, there's things, but it, it's yeah. not as drastic as 87 to 2004. Uh, but just really quickly on Mark Ruffalo, it is funny that after he did this, he did more romantic comedies, and there was one that I remember I watched just because Mark Ruffalo was in it, and it was him and Reese Witherspoon. That was the one where he, he was dead oh, yes. or she was yeah, dead. Yeah, Up in the Air or something, was no, it? not Up in the Air. That's a George Clooney one. It was, oh, no, it was one where she was dead. 
Yeah, no, or Just Like Heaven or something. Yeah, I think that's what it was, yeah. But I hated that movie. Like, it was missing Jennifer Garner. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing random, random movie titles like, out there. What was it called? It was, um, it was, uh, oh, oh, oh. I'm, Rainbow, I saw the tip Rainbow of my tongue. It was the tip of my tongue. A Scarface, right? Oh, no, hold on. Um, um, I've got it. I've got, got it. It's, it's right, it's right here. It's right here. Uh, Elmo and Grouchland. Was that it? No. Uh, I got it, though. You eventually got it. Yes, second or third try. But this pairing of them is just so perfect and I think if people don't remember how good this movie is go back and watch it and and watch it objectionably compared to modern day rom-coms or even rom-coms at the time like it is something different than those other movies and the director Gary Winnick uh, I had actually seen one of his movies before seeing 13 Gone on 30 and I don't think I realized that when I watched it but he made a movie just before this called Tadpole which was kind of a small indie comedy about a teenage kid who was into older women and basically, you know, was very smooth and intelligent and liked to pick up older women. Incredible movie. And you would not expect the guy who did Tadpole to do this. Now, Gary Winnick talked a lot in his commentary and a lot of interviews uh, around the time the movie came out about how he consciously made this movie and he had to pull himself back. He had to, this isn't a guy who, because he would have go on to do some really bad rom-coms, one particular Bride Wars, which I'll bring up this is some comparisons to this too, but uh, he he didn't want to make Tadpole with a big budget. He had to pull himself back and sometimes be reminded, you're making a studio movie. You are making a commercial film that we want to appeal to 13-year-old girls and 30-year-old men, you know? And he had to kind of check himself, but yet there is something about how he handled this movie that's different than other romantic comedies. And I'll point out some of those things as we go along here. But uh, it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, Gary, he only made a couple more movies after this. Um, I, the only one that I saw was Bride Wars, which you showed me. And I hated that movie. And I, I think that, that movie is the exact definition of what's wrong with uh, this genre. Oh, you could call it romantic comedy. But anyways. I remember nothing about it, so it obviously wasn't that good. Anne Hathaway and Kate Hudson are both getting married on the same day. They're best friends getting married remember. on the same day. I don't yeah. remember. It was just, there were, there were things that happened in that movie that were just, that is the total wrong choice. But anyways, uh, we'll kind of get into this movie here. Uh, so first, let's just start off. The greatest opening music song of all time is in this movie, Head Over Heels by the Go-Go's, right? Yes, you're a huge fan. We all know. I, I, I am a massive Go-Go's fan, which I became a massive Go-Go's fan probably only a little over a year ago when I saw their documentary, having only heard a few... I, I basically knew them as the band that did that song in 13 Go On 30, which is a good song, but amazing band. Uh, and I, I love this song. Uh, but first bit of trivia I'm going to give you. So this entire opening sequence we get with the the two young Jenna and Matt, the young Jennifer Garner and the young Mark Ruffalo. Uh, I had heard years ago that these scenes were reshot, that they had different actors originally, and that the scenes were screened and they tested poorly, so they reshot this. And I thought to myself, I know this is a movie with a budget, it's a studio film, but there is no way they would reshoot, which is essentially 15% at least of this movie, because they didn't like the two kids. I spent all of today trying to verify that this wasn't the case. I re-listened to Gary Winnick's commentary from 13 Go On 30, thinking, did I forget that he brought this up? Never brings it up. I'm looking online trying to verify this. All I could see is people saying, this is a trivia point. These were the original two actors that were cast. And I was thinking, maybe these other actors were cast, but they never actually filmed the movie. Like they did a screen test and it didn't work. I stumbled across, right before we started recording this, a video that was released online only, I think, two years ago, two or three years ago, 
where somebody finally released the original scenes that were filmed with the original Jenna and Matt, different actors, so it is real. And I don't know that I doubt that this was screened and then they at the last minute decided, oh, we're gonna do a test screening at the last minute, let's reshoot all of this movie, because they have to bring a lot of actors back. But it was a real thing that they, they shot most of these scenes and they reshot it with two completely different actors and actually scripted it completely different too. Uh, if you look up the scenes, I'll show it to you afterwards, but if people can find these scenes, it is bad. <laughs> uh, and, and let's just give the benefit that I don't say this is maybe rough cut bad, but the tone is wrong. The performances are a little too Disney Channel. Whereas I think the, the two actors that they got to play Young Jen and Matt, like they just, they, again, they feel natural. They feel like real 13-year-olds. I'm going to say the boy was even worse in those flashback scenes because he fit that category of being the geek. And that goes against the concept of this character. One of the things that I think was so great about Mark Ruffalo's character in this movie is that he's only playing a geek to the people in 1987. People watching in 2004 would be like, well, that's the cool kid, you know? Yeah. That that kid has some brains. He's into music. He's into good music. The Clash, Talking Heads, you know, intelligent stuff. Uh, he he's a photographer. You know, he's polite without being uh, embarrassingly dopey. <laughs> you honestly believe this? This it would be the cool kid. But in 1987, he's not the cool kid. The way that the original actor played it, he was not the cool kid even in 2004. You know. <laughs> Okay, that's all you have to add. This is how we're going to get by quickly. <laughs> no, I was, just, I was just laughing because I'm, I'm just imagining it, how bad it must be because I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, well, I'll show it to you when we're done. This is, it's really not good. Uh, and a lot of the scenes are different too. I'll, I'll kind of mention some of the differences here before we even get in this movie. For example, he plays the song for her uh, on his little piano or whatever. Uh, and his, his Casio. His Casio, yeah. He plays the song. He's giving her birthday gifts throughout the day. Like, it is very Disney Channel-esque. Um, the scenes with the parents are slightly different. Uh, the, the whole stuffing the bra thing is a little bit different. Is, is the parents still the same? Uh, I, I, couldn't, well, I couldn't pick it out in the, the version I saw, but okay. I would assume the parents are the same. Um, the introduction of the six chicks, the, the, the bully group that she becomes the leader of later on, I think some of the kids are completely different in that. <laughs> they, it's hard to tell because only the main one you really notice. Well, and the main one, it's clearly the same actress, but you could tell she'd probably aged at least a couple months in between the original scenes and this one. Some of the other ones in the background, I can't tell. I was looking for one in particular, which I'll point out in a second. But when this movie starts, I love that it basically starts with just the awkwardness of being a 13-year-old on picture day. As the guy's getting her name wrong over and over again, keeps calling her Gina or whatever. Gina, yeah. And then she gets that... that picture snapping in the middle of her correcting him and it basically just looks like she's having a stroke yeah well it looks like she's snarling <laughs> snarling and having a stroke snarling while having a stroke uh but uh i have to ask you did you ever have any like really bad pictures like school pictures hmm i don't really think so no you were just always the most beautiful creature in the school no i just didn't care <laughs> okay i mean i i I, I had a few where uh, I know even afterwards, my mom was, she was terrible with remembering what my, days it my was. My mom always thought I was beautiful even when I was like downright ugly. Okay. But I mean, I, I've seen pictures of you on a school picture where you've got like the nicest dress on and stuff. I guarantee my mom never remembered when it was picture day, never bothered to do anything because I, I distinctly remember one picture of me. It might've been second or third grade where like, it looked like I had just rolled out of bed. Like I had hair, ha hair half sticking up. 
it, it was a bad picture just because I look so sloppy, which really is no different than I look nowadays. But you, you know what, though, our oldest, he totally has your hair, and that doesn't surprise me when yeah, you well, tell that's, a story like that. Yeah, I, 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 he Casper has it worse, but yeah, when he when he was like he's almost six now for whoever's listening, but when he was a baby all the way up until he was probably like three, his hair just stood right up. Yeah, well, that's kind of me, like a, a, a small, slight gust of wind. And half of my hair is standing up permanently. Well, that's not coming down for an hour, you yeah. know. Like, yeah. Now, now it's just static. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, th- that was my bad school picture. But I just, I love that opening and the awkwardness of it. Uh, the the sequence continues where they're introduced to the the six chicks. Uh, and I'm going to p- continue on the scene, oh, but I'm going can to I show ask you one question. Sorry, just sure. to, because you're older than me mm-hmm. <clears throat> by eight years, so. You, you are more, even though I was born in 89, you're familiar more with the 80s than I am. I was wondering about one thing that I forgot to ask you about when we were watching the movie. With the picture day, she gets her picture taken, and then all of a sudden she's picking up all of her pictures that have been developed. Mm-hmm. Was it different in the 80s? Because when I went to school, you got like a sample, and then your parents had to order it. And it wasn't like you got all the prints. I honestly don't remember. Like, I would think it... If, any, we get... if anybody's listening to this and you know, tell me, because I was wondering that watching the movie, I'm like, she's getting this full package of pictures and like, obviously if her parents saw them, like there's such thing as like a retake for picture day, right? Uh, that that must have been a thing still in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anybody who's listening, please let me know. Yeah, please let her know. Uh, write to us at Oz Network. Okay, well, don't let me know. Let Colin know. Don't bother me. <laughs> Just leave her be. Uh, but anyway, so the six chicks here, uh, well, Jenna and Matt are basically just doing their regular thing. They come up for, uh, so the main six chick, yeah. she's called Tom Tom here. Yeah. Nickname, obviously, because she's Lucy later on. Yeah. Uh, she's coming up basically saying she can't come to Jenna's birthday party because she's got to finish the school project and it's too bad because the cool hot guy in school, Chris Grandy, was going to come. And Jenna basically says, well, I'll do your project for you. And, of course, it's all just manipulation to get her schoolwork. Now, all of the six chicks are in the background here. I'm going to show you one and tell me if you recognize who this person might have been at the age of 13 or 14. Oh, Brie Larson. Brie Larson was one of the six chicks. Hmm. And here, I'm going to tell you the funniest story about this, okay? So, she was in this movie, obviously. And if you study the picture later on, when Jenna is injected into this group or becomes a leader, when she's looking through her old high school yearbook, Brie Larson is the one that was kicked out. Because <laughs> Matt even says, where she's saying, like, I want to be a six trick. He goes, you can't be. It's mathematically impossible. There's only six of them, like, which is such a great line. Yeah. Uh, but that's true. There's only six of them later on. And Brie Larson was kicked out for Jennifer Garner. Oh, poor Brie Larson. Yeah. I mean, they, they made the right choice. Uh, I love Brie Larson, but they made the right choice. It doesn't surprise me, though, that you're sitting there staring and studying her pictures. I didn't. I forgot about it. <laughs> I had heard this before, and I forgot about it. But anyways, just great trivia fact. And it's funny because she's like the tallest one in the group too. And when I tried to watch the original sequence was filmed, I'm like, either Brie Larson isn't in this scene or she grew about a foot overnight because <laughs> she looks like she's older than the rest of the actors, even though she's clearly younger. Um, so uh, when she's at home getting ready for her birthday party, uh, she's listening to Jesse's Girl by Rick Springsteen or Springfield. <laughs> Well, that's what I was wondering, too, because I think they said Springfield, but isn't it Springsteen? No, it is Springfield, Jamie. Oh, okay. That's the joke when he calls it Springsteen later on. Okay. But yeah, this is a song I didn't even, like, 
1987, I was alive, but I don't think I was really following anything. Well, I was well. That's the thing, right? Like, I mean, for me, I was born in '89, so like, I'm I'm not familiar with yeah, any. Yeah, I that. had barely discovered Ninja Turtles at this point. I I I I was potty trained. I I wasn't wetting the bed. I think that's my level of uh, success in the world. Your greatest life accomplishment. That was my life's accomplishment at the point. I stopped wetting the bed and I discovered the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I became familiar with this song through this movie, but obviously it was a big deal. But it is funny when you go through the soundtrack, the stuff that really plays in the 1987 sequence, a lot of the stuff is actually older than 1987. Um, I'm going to look up here because I'm pretty sure Jesse's Girl was a song from like the early 80s, and we know Thriller was like 1983. Uh, and well, there's Love is a Battlefield is in there, but I don't, yeah. know, I don't know when that's from. So look at this. Jesse's Girl was 1981. Uh, Head Over Heels is 1984. Um, Thriller was 1983. And let's look up Love is a Battlefield here. So those are, I guess, the four main songs that are played during... uh, 83. 83. So really, she's listening to classic rock at this point. (laughs) Is it or is it just that, you know, the people who wrote this movie, that they're they're remembering that from their childhood? Because they would be around the age where they would appreciate that, right? Maybe, yeah. Uh, there's also one song that's in the original sequence with the original actors. Uh, I know You know I'm a big fan of the song Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this one came out in 1981. So again, yeah, stuff that was... I guess Jenna was still herself just getting past wetting the bed when she got into the music here. Uh, but she's watching this video, kissing the Rick Springsteen on the TV or whatever as the parents walk in with the video camera embarrassing her. Uh, And of course, they see that she stuffed her bra. And (laughs) I love the parents. She's basically all sad because she's not 30. couple of things. The the magazine she has, she has the Poise magazine. She's going to work for Poise magazine later on. She has that. I don't know if you ever caught that the pages that are open for Poise magazine is showing an apartment that is virtually identical to the apartment that Jenna herself is going to have in 2004. Oh, I never, never paid attention. Yeah. You'll see that the magazine 1987 is showing her apartment from 2004. Hmm. Uh, But uh, when she's talking about, I want to be like the people in this picture, you know, and then the mom says one of the best lines in this movie, those aren't people, those are models. (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. I love that one. Uh, But Basically, the idea is that she thinks, oh, well, if I'm 30, I'll have my life together because I've got no boobs now. That's basically the gist of it. Uh, more to it than that. But uh, she doesn't want to be a kid. Uh, so she, she basically wants popularity and then also to get the the guys and to have boobs. Yeah, exactly. So is this something that a 13-year-old girl is really – like, are 13-year-old girls excited I, I've, about boobs? I've stuffed my bra when I was younger. Okay, but uh, – there's a difference between you want to portray an image and you want boobs. Like, is this something that was exciting? Cause they talk yeah. about that in the commentaries. Yeah. So that is something that's normal for us. Cause I can tell you, no guy is sitting there saying, can't wait for those pubes to come in. Like <laughs> there's nothing that a guy is, everything for a guy is awkward. You know what though? Like, I mean, uh, I, I don't really know how to phrase this with it without it like being inappropriate. Cause I mean, like for guys, private parts though, I mean, they, they must grow. Because, like, I, I don't, I mean, I don't look at our boys in that way because that's weird or whatever. But, you know, like a like a, a toddler's dinky, how, how big it is. It's obviously bigger than that when you're a grown man. So it obviously does grow. Is it exci- well, everything grows. So is it exciting for guys to, no. to watch their dink grow? No, you don't notice for one thing. <laughs> Do guys compare sizes? Never. I don't, I've never have. I mean, I'm me though. Like, I am, that, that, that's the funny thing is that I, I am basically... Jennifer Garner's character in this movie, a 13-year-old as an adult, that's basically me 
at the age of 30 still. I was still like, oh, gross. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, because that, that's the only thing that I can think of to compare it to that for, for men and women, uh, like body parts specifically that, that, yeah. that grow. So there's one part of puberty that girls get excited about, or at least some. Well, it's it's a way to, it's going from, I mean, I know it sounds so cliche and so cheesy, but it really is truly going from, it's just another step of going from a girl to a woman. Mm-hmm. There, there's other things, it's not just that, like, you know, getting your period for the first time, you know, uh so so many different things. I'd probably have to think about it. I don't want to bore people with it, but getting boobs, definitely. And you know there are people out there too that that hate how big they are because it it, it you know it does hurt your back and stuff like that and your shoulders if they're too big. Mine mine are just right. I got no complaints. All right, I'm not complaining. Um, <laughs> but uh, we get to the birthday party sequence now. I don't know whether this is the intention or if other people didn't arrive yet. But like, did she literally only invite the six chicks and Matt to her birthday party? I mean, that's what it looked like, yeah. It but. could be that everybody else is going to come late or something, because it, it ends pretty quickly. But, yeah, like, nobody else comes to the birthday, apparently. Uh, or just nobody else was invited. But the whole basement's done up, uh, so obviously the parents are very excited. There is a deleted sequence here where, where the parents got a bouncy castle, which actually factors into the, the original stuff that was filmed before they reshot everything that comes back at the end of bouncy castle. Uh, obviously, they're like, if we're shooting all these scenes, we're not bringing back a bouncy castle. That costs money. Um, but uh, she's doing the thriller dance in the basement. And I, I, again, I think just from watching the making of and listening to the commentaries, this is just something that people did. Like, everybody would duplicate the thriller dance uh, back in 87 or 83 to 87, whatever. Uh, she's doing that in the basement. Matt comes in. Uh, he gives her the gift, which is uh, she's always wanted a Barbie dream house, so he builds the Jenna dream house basically builds this doll dream house and it's got all these cool little details in there he's got his vinyl collection with like the clash uh it's got uh, her in a bubble bath um and then it's got that as he says that bum rick springfield on the couch and you see a guy with a guitar sitting on the couch and matt a version of matt in there pointing at rick springfield like i got my eye on you it's kind of a cool little house uh and the second part he's got the wishing dust so yeah. This little glitter that he sprinkles on the house, which is supposed to give her her wish, which is going to be the magic of this movie later on. Um, I just want to say, we have children. Glitter never comes out. Never. No. And I <laughs> and I do actually have glitter in our house, but I keep it very, very hidden and locked away. Casper brings home a craft from school and it's got glitter on it. I'm basically like, how quickly can I throw this thing in the garbage without him noticing? With, like, without him noticing, exactly. I guarantee I have shown up to work some days and people have probably been like, why does this guy have glitter on his forehead? And they're like, I have showered three times since this glitter was in contact with me. It is never coming out. Did they Did they ever um, mention or talk about where this actually takes place, the movie? Like, what city? It's not a small town or anything, right? <laughs> so it's pretty clearly New York when they make constant New York references later on. Oh, I, I don't know. I didn't pay but, attention. I mean, they, they even... She gets so, off the so George Washington so Bridge. All, okay, I, I was, well, going, I was no, going somewhere with that. So, uh, obviously, it's not a small town. So, yeah, like, you'd think with her going to a school and stuff like that, there'd be so many kids to choose to be friends with. So, why did she have to be friends with well, just these people? Well, here's the thing, though. It, it's funny, because I'm kind of making fun of you. I'm, I'm hoping you understood that the, the main sequences of the movie take place in New York, and you're actually just talking about where she grows up here. Yeah, where she grows up. There's hesitancy. Tell me you realized it was New York for the rest of it. Well, no, no, no. I, I didn't pay. <laughs> I didn't pay attention. All right, but anyways, um, 
So Gary Winnick. I'm just like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Gary Winnick uh, himself is from New York. And one of the things in his commentary is he's constantly pointing out, I really wish that I had made this loca- location more visible. He was very meticulous. He wanted he wanted to profile more that they're actually not in New York. They're in New Jersey where the movie starts. So you are right in saying that this is not the big city here. This is somewhere in New Jersey. Because obviously she can take a train and she can take a cab to get here later. Mm. So it's driving distance, but technically it's Jersey. Um, but yes, the rest of it is in New York, by the way, which, uh, uh, that place with the Statue of Liberty and the plays Broadway, Broadway. Yeah. Times Square, all that stuff. And good pizza, apparently. And Maybe. Ba- and bagels, which if we ever go to New York, I want pizza and bagels. I'm celiac, and, so and, and, I will I skip know, it. And no, I know you are, but I'll still have it. <laughs> you'll have my, you'll order some for me. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't have those, Colin. I, I can do it. <laughs> I know you can. Uh, <laughs> So anyways, he sprinkles the, the fairy dust on there or whatever, uh, the glitter. <laughs> the and the then, fairy dust as uh, she's hiding in the closet. Yeah, well, and then the the, uh, the thing is is that she immediately shoves this in the closet. It's funny because she's actually, she's she's nice when she gets this. She seems like, oh, this is so nice. And then yeah. when everybody else is there, she's got to be Mrs. Cool. As soon as they come, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and now when everybody else shows up, she hides in the closet. Uh, we get Obviously, they're not walking the door until she hands over the project, which she's completed. Uh, then we get that, that cool, uh, shot where the, the Chris Grandy shows up, the cool guys are dropped off and he's basically walking in slow motion, well, so, so just flipping, his, flipping hair. his hair as, as, uh, the, the beginning of, uh, burning down the house by talking heads is played. Huh. Uh, now, uh, this song, you know, burning down the house, of course, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, there's a great cover of this by a Canadian band. I'm just going to encourage people. I'm not going to say it's better than the original, but if you want to find the best cover ever of Burning Down the House, look up Burning Down the House by a band called Sea Spot Run. Great Canadian band. Uh, I love that. And I love the original version too. But Matt's dancing, you know, again, even the way he's dancing, I, I think the idea is it's supposed to be embarrassing, but like 2004, nobody's looking back on this guy saying that he's the loser in the room. You know, like that. that's what this movie needed and i think that's what they missed with the original actor and the original uh sequences they had yeah he would have been who i wanted to be friends with yeah and and this is you know i think the way they describe it uh in all the making ofs and everything is that they wanted him to be a kid who was ahead of his time Mm -hmm. like nothing changes about it matt is the same guy at the age of 30 as he is at 13 it's just the world caught up to him you know I, i can see you being a lot like that I definitely was. I, I I was the one that nobody wanted to invite to their party. I was the one that everybody thought was a loser, but now I'm cool, right? Well, no, I'm just... Now saying, I'm an award-winning okay. podcaster. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. I'm just saying because you have always been into more intelligent stuff, and you even talk about when you were very little and you guys started re- reading novels at such an early age. Well, that's... That, that was all, and again, that's just sort of upbringing. Like, my parents basically said, you can read whatever you want, but if you're going to read... You know, whatever kid's book, you're comic, also... Comic go- books or whatever. Yeah, you're also going to read Black Beauty. You're going to read Treasure Island. You're going to read Swiss Family Robinson. You know, it was the same with music. I mean, my parents were both musicians, not professional. Yeah. Uh, but they're both musicians. So they, they're like, fine, you want to listen to... Uh, I don't know, whatever, nothing that I ever bothered to listen to, but let's just say uh, you want to listen to, see, I don't even know what the cool music was growing up. Uh, what, what was what was cool in the early 90s? Madonna? I don't know. Fine, if they want to say, yeah, let's, that would totally be my parents. I, my parents, you want to be, you want to listen to Madonna? Get out of my house. But let's that, that, say. That, that's a bad answer, but. Yeah, let's say, you want to listen to Madonna? Fine. But here I want to play for you. 
um, I don't know, the Jay Giles Band or the Talking Heads. CCR. CCR, yeah, whatever. Uh, but yes, I was totally mad. <laughs> but uh, Matt's the cool one now, right? Uh, so everybody's looking weird at him. They shut off his music. Uh, they, they turn on, I think it's Madonna playing. <laughs> and basically Matt uh, goes to go get his Casio, which is the, the keyboard from next door. And Jenna, for the first time ever, is kind of a jerk to him. And do whatever you want. It's not like they play by play, which is the same line that they, they had earlier on with him. Yeah. Uh, he's basically the one being picked on. And then once he's gone, they're like, hey, I got an idea. Have you ever played Spin the Rapist? <laughs> That's the best line later, earlier on when Mark Ruffalo calls it Spin the Rapist. Uh, you have seven minutes in heaven, which is essentially going blindfolded and somebody comes in. And they're basically saying Chris is going to come in and play this with you. So she's blindfolded. She's in the closet. They take the project. They leave. By the time Matt comes back, they're, they're basically playing the trick on him now. It's like, oh, Jenna's waiting for you in the closet. So he goes in. She thinks it's Chris. He thinks she wants me. <laughs> a woman. A woman wants me. <laughs> so is that a line from something? It's a Roger Moore. You get it if you listen to our other non-award winning podcast, Double Law 7. It's Roger Moore. Uh, but uh, he goes in there. And finally, when she's like, oh, Chris, uh, he realizes she doesn't want me. Like, she, she thinks this is somebody else. She takes off the blindfold. She basically loses it on him. Uh, thinking that he was the reason they left, goes in the closet, starts saying she wants to be 30. The fairy dust starts sprinkling all over her and cut to somebody rolling over and waking up. And now she's 30 years old and she's Jennifer Garner. Um, you want to talk about the entire opening section of the movie, but we could group in this first scene here as well in the apartment because there's some great stuff here. First of all, um, obvious comparisons to Big, you know, with with somebody just waking up and realizing I'm an adult and not recognizing the person in the mirror. Little detail, uh, the blindfold that she has on in the closet is basically the same as the blindfold mask she wears. It's literally the same pattern, the same material as the one she wakes up with when she's 30. Yeah. Uh, she's stumbling all over the place. This is where Jennifer Garner is so good. Just This is going to sound weird, but the best acting Jennifer Garner does in this movie is when she's saying nothing. It's her reactions to things. It's her facial expressions. It's how hilarious she could be without being Jim Carrey, you know? Uh, it's her doing little things like stumbling all over the place. And the walk. The walk is... And we got to point out, she walks like a 13-year-old, <laughs> you know? And that's something that, like, nobody would write on paper that you would just do. But the whole way that this scene plays out where there's somebody, obviously there's a guy in her apartment, she doesn't know who it is. He comes out of the shower naked. She opens up the umbrella just to block him. Apparently they had to do many takes of that scene in order to get it because it wouldn't always be blocked. Uh, she runs out of her apartment. Uh, there Downstairs she meets who we're going to realize is Lucy grown up. And uh, her cell phone keeps going off. That was one of the best parts of the movie. When her cell phone keeps going off, as soon as she goes outside, did you hear that? Did you hear that? It's like, she's like the crazy lady. It's like, what is that? <laughs> uh, and this just keeps going on and on. Um, basically, when she sees the guy, the naked guy, is yelling down after her, that's when she agrees to get in the car. And I also love just the way, the way that she delivers that line. I don't get in the car with strangers. Like, it's, again, such a 13-year-old thing. And some people would go so far and they would play this like a nine-year-old, you know? Uh, and... What she does is she plays this like a 13-year-old or 12-year-old who just turned 13. Yeah. Uh, and like, like, he showed me his thingy. Oh, no. Not, not his thingy, thingy. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, like, a 12-year-old or 13-year-old, they would be thinking that. But, like, she's I, – I, I don't want to criticize this movie because it's a great movie and Jennifer Garner's in it as well. But Catch Me If You Can. I love Catch Me If You Can. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is amazing in Catch Me If You Can. But before he becomes the con man – 
when he's playing 15-year-old Frank Abagnale, he plays him like he's nine, you know? And that's what what I think a lot of even very good actors do is they play too young. Uh, Tom Hanks got it right in Big where he played it like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old would. And Jennifer Garner has the same thing here. They get at the office. She finally finds out this is Poise Magazine, which is the magazine she worshipped as a 13-year-old. Um, and uh, one more thing I want to mention. I actually misses my notes. Going along with this whole thing about the boobs, that's weird. Now, I was wondering, like, is this a real thing? Because women produced this movie. Women wrote this movie. So it's obviously just not this is what guys think. Uh, but uh, the way that the first thing she does when she wakes up is she holds her boobs. And... It's not even like she's sitting there fondling it. She just continues on with the scene, walking around investigating her apartment and not taking her hands off of it. And it's it's just played as in like, well, that's interesting. Let me feel that for a little while. Uh, but at the office, this is some of the best stuff where she goes inside and she's completely bluffing her way through this as they're asking for all these decisions. Do you want this one or this one? Uh, M&M called and he wants decisions. She's like, plain. And they're just looking at her at a peanut. because <laughs> Plain, peanut. That's so good. Uh, I was going to say, obviously, I've never been through this experience with, you know, being 13 and then automatically being 30. But, you know, one thing that I can actually equate it to almost with, like, the shockedness mm -hmm. is, you know, because it's very rare unless, like, you gain weight and stuff like that. And that's the, obviously a slow change where you, your breasts can increase. But with being pregnant and stuff like that and you have your your milk come in and your boobs are like gigantic and they're really hard it's like the same type of thing where you're just like you're kind of grabbing and you're like oh this is new no but it's not, like you said though it's not just like oh that feels good or something like that it's it's not in like an erotic type of way it's just like what the heck and you're and you're you know like i'm grabbing mine right now just acting it out obviously people can't see that but yeah you w you wake up obviously you know after having a child and stuff like that and you you have your your jugs full of milk <laughs> and, and it's just like oh my goodness like what the heck is that i i can't relate to that in any way <laughs> that's why a movie like this needs a good male lead because there's jokes that like i'm not saying to strip these jokes out. those jokes work for a female audience i'm like but i'm clearly not gonna get it you know i'm just appreciating the humor of it yeah <laughs> you're looking at me I, i'm literally meaning i'm appreciating the humor i'm not meaning anything inappropriate uh, no i know that i know <laughs> stop looking at me weird back to the movie now um so uh when they're entering the office here some of the best stuff are just these little throwaway lines like this movie is so quick with the jokes and it's not like you're, you're gonna be blown out of your seat like oh that's such a hilarious joke like it's just a lot of really really great background humor here like when they're walking in and somebody's saying like you know good morning to her and she's like good morning and uh uh jen is asking lucy it's like what's her name and she goes who cares <laughs> little yeah. things like that and then uh the boardroom scene which is so good we meet her assistant arlene uh and in the boardroom scene here where uh she's saying do you need anything else from me and she says uh what you mean like a favor and she's like yeah, like the favorite. Like this lady's one of the stars of the movie, the assistant, right? Yeah, yeah, you could tell because she's obviously so used to her normally being mean and nasty. Yeah. Well, they even mention here in the boardroom scene, like this is where they set up the plot within this plot where the magazine keeps getting their ideas stolen by Sparkle magazine. And they have their big wall up there where it's like January, February, showing all the months and how they've stole every single one. Um, all of the pictures on there are duplicated you have jennifer lopez on both covers 
There is one month, though, that I don't know if this was intentional or if there's a reason for this because it's always supposed to be that they somehow have stolen your ideas and their their magazine is identical to yours. It's just one better instead of the 10 secrets, you know, and it's the 11 secrets from Jennifer Lopez. Uh, the month of May has Marissa Tomei on the cover of Poise and Courtney Cox on the cover of Sparkle. I, I don't know why that's the only month that doesn't have anything stolen. If it was the first month, I'd get it. But it's literally in the middle of everything they put up there where it's yeah. one that's different. I guess there was one month where she took a break from being a villain. Yeah, maybe. I mean, obviously there's going to be lots of things revealed later in the movie about what's going on with this, with the ideas always getting stolen. Andy Serkis plays the boss here. Oh, he's amazing. And, and I, I know I had never seen Andy Serkis. I had seen him in interviews because obviously he was Gollum in Lord of the Rings. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing interviews with anybody in that cast. Everybody knew by looking at him, that's the guy who played Gollum, even though you never see his face in Lord of the Rings. But I don't think I'd seen him in anything live action before. Uh, obviously, since then, he's done The Prestige and he's Alfred in the new Batman movie. Now, he probably does just as much stuff as Andy Serkis as he does motion capture. Uh, but uh, at this point, this was the only time I'd ever seen him act live action. And he's also one of the funniest people in this movie. And just the way that this scene plays out, too, where he's saying, what are we going to do about stopping this? And, and Lucy's saying, like, you know, we've installed new firewalls where we've got security checks. Uh, Jenna fired Charlotte the other day. And he goes, good. I guarantee she was a spy working for them. And she's like, she was a secretary. <laughs> like, it's yeah, just- oh, yeah. They are saying because she's like she was probably guilty because she was always taking notes. Yeah, she was always taking notes. She was a secretary. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this this whole setup of the plot of the movie, this is all it's for. But like Andy Circus makes this just a funny scene where you don't even realize they're delivering plot here. And of of course they're asking her, you know, uh, what do you want? Oh, first of all, when when she's writing down Matt's number, she's like, the only way I'm going to figure out what's going on here is to get in contact with Matt. She writes down the number, and then Arlene leaves before she can do it, so she throws it at her and then falls out of her chair. Which again, I don't even know if that was improvised. It just seems so natural. Uh, but just her falling out of chair is hilarious. And when they are coming into the office, of course, Lucy was saying to her, "I'm not. Gonna, don't let anybody know you're hungover." And she's like, "I'm not hungover," because she's acting crazy, obviously. And when she falls out of chair, I just love that she turns around to her, Jenna's a little hungover, and everybody's like, "Oh, okay." Again, like this, it's is it that day of the week already? <laughs> um, so she excuses herself from the boardroom as soon as she's called upon Jenna. What's your idea? She goes, "Can I go to the bathroom?" Which again, these little details of a thirteen-year-old, like the fact that she writes her name at the top of the page, mm-hmm. or that she's asking permission to go to the bathroom, or, or passing notes like that. Uh, those are all the little details that just make this movie so much more authentic. Not, not to mention those uh, those little um, booklet thing that she she keeps. Yeah, all her notes in her little duo tangs. What was the what were those called again? Lisa something, right? Oh, I thought they were duo tangs. Yeah, well, yeah, but there there's a special one that has like all the rainbows and the unicorns and stuff on it. Do I look like somebody that would have bought those? I'm not the guy to ask. Anyway, whoever's probably listening knows what I'm talking. Jennifer about. Garner knows. Jennifer, if you're listening, please tell us what the rainbow and the sparkle duo tangs are called. Yeah, it's like Lisa something or something Lisa. I know there's a very good chance she's listening to this episode. Sure. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> if she is, hello. Hello. And I'm a big fan. I'm a bigger fan, so... <laughs> yeah, I know you are. Uh, but, uh... By how many times you gasped watching this movie. <laughs> uh, yes! She's one of my favorites. That's why we're doing a month on her. She excuses her to go to the bathroom, and she basically uh, goes and she hides in her office when she sees the name on the door. Uh, she gasps herself when she sees the picture of Madonna 
that's autographed and she realizes she's friends with Madonna. You also see a picture with her with Rudy Giuliani. And there are some pictures where a character's not even going to introduce yet her boyfriend, in quotes, uh, the hockey player that we're going to see later on. Arlene knocks on the door and she basically says, I've got the number for that person. And she just, I love it. She just grabs her and pulls her right into the office. Yeah. Uh, and then Arlene's all proud of herself. She's like, you know, I, I, the number you gave me was for his parents, but I said that I work for Visa and he's in a lot of trouble. And <laughs> Arlene's like, uh, 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 looking like she's ready to get fired. She would say something here. It's either in this scene or another one. Like, Please don't fire me. When is that? Um, that's with the, when she was saying <clears throat> your parents called and she said, I thought you never. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. that was, I think that was yeah. the, the earlier, earlier or like just before the scene or before that. Yeah. You told me never to bother I, you with personal issues. I just remembered the name that I was trying to think of Lisa Frank. You remember that? No. Do I look like somebody who would remember that? Well, they're, they're like the unicorns and the rainbows and stuff. Every, every girl growing up had this. Chance. I love that you said every girl had them and you asked me, do you remember this? As a, as a fellow girl, like, do you like, remember like this? this especially stuff like ju- that junk like that like rainbow <laughs> unicorns? No, I don't. I don't remember Le- that. Lisa Frank. Sure. Yeah. Lisa Frank. We're also big fans. If you're listening, say hello. Uh, drop us a line. Is Lisa Frank a real person or is it just the brand name? Yeah, she's an American businesswoman, born in 1955. So she <laughs> made a she made a business of obviously out of all this stuff. Wow. For girls. Wow. I don't know if that's her. I don't know if that's her there, but if, if okay, hold on. That is a picture of somebody clearly taken around the early two thousands. They look no older than sixteen. You're like, is that her? Was this taken in nineteen seventy one? I think that's her. It can't be her, Jamie. That is not her. If you said she's born nineteen fifty five, look now you look her up and she's clearly like seventy years old. <laughs> No, that's so mean. She's only this year. She's only sixty-six. That's almost seventy. Oh, you, oh, excuse me. When I when you were like thirty-eight, and I said you're almost forty, you're like that's not the same thing. Well, we're talking about double the age, though. When you when you reach the end of your life, I guess you can count it a little bit closer. My so, point so, is, sixty-six is the end of your life. <laughs> what's the life expectancy? Late seventies to eighties? Yeah, it is the end of your life. You're in the you're in the, the last years. It's the single digits years remaining. By the amount of cheese I eat, I'll probably live until I'm like fifty-two. Yeah, I mean Jennifer Garner's gonna outlive you. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> but. uh... Anyways, Lisa Frank. Yeah, no. But what I thought was funny about that is again, you you didn't realize somehow this movie took place in New York, and you saw the picture of what looked like a teenage girl in the early two thousands. You're like, is that the lady born in nineteen fifty five? Well, it could have been an older picture, you dolt. Okay, but what older people looked like that in nineteen fifty five? Have you seen the fifties? Well, yeah, but obviously this lady has really cute style. She's she's the Matt Flam half of the fifties. She's just ahead of her time. Well, it doesn't look 50s at all. And he, I guess, was cool for 1987. Anyways, um, I love that you complain. You're like, how long is this going to take us? And then you you go on the bio of Lisa Frank. Well, because I just told you my back hurt because I'm old. (laughs) I'm going to be 33 next month. Give me a break. 33 going on 72. Well, you know what? If you came to me 10 years ago when I was 23, things wouldn't hurt when I wake up in the morning like they do now. 
I mean, you carry twins. You know, you got a reason. Yeah, exactly. So get off my back. I'm not on your back. It hurts all on its own. I'm the only person not responsible for your back. I had to, like, crawl up the stairs the last two months of my pregnancy. <laughs> and they were still born a month early. Yeah, no, there were a lot of funny stories about things you couldn't do on your own when pregnant with the twins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But back to this movie. So, um, yeah, the, the please don't fire me thing is hilarious. Uh, you you keep spitting on me this entire recording. <laughs> You're too excited. You keep spitting on me. Like, say it. Don't spray it, buddy. I'm 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 very animated. I'm very. I'm very excited. Why don't you just turn the other way so you, so you spit on your laptop and, and not on my face and my arm? We're going to get back to the movie very soon, people. We promise. All right, so... Um, <laughs> why, why, why don't you swallow first before you talk? I love that you're calling me over this one. You are probably the person I've known in my life that spits on people the most. I don't know how many times we've been in regular conversations like, ooh, gum, your spit just hit my eyeball. Can't breathe, Jamie. Okay, let's let's get it together. My back's hurting because I'm old. <laughs> So I'm crying. So <laughs> this is why the movie was 13 going on 30 and not 33 because me at 33 it would just be Jennifer Garner complaining about her back and people <laughs> spitting on her. Well, I'm sure if I was actually like a healthy weight too and skinny like that I probably wouldn't be hurting so bad, but I like to eat ice cream and cheese. <laughs> so sue me if I'm a little bit chubby, okay? Anyways, she's going to flee the office, she's going to struggle to catch a cab, and she will be going to find Matt. We'll cut it off there. Anything you want to discuss other than your ailments (laughs) of this first section of the movie? (laughs) No, I'm good. Just just don't spit on me anymore. (laughs) I even gave you a warning. I'm like, I'm going to stop at a certain point. And your job is to respond with anything that I might have missed, anything that you like about that, talking points. <laughs> and you're like, got it. You're like, sure, got it. <laughs> we get to that point. You're like, nah, I'm good. Are we still recording right now? Yes. Oh. <laughs> there's, there's a whole lot of movie left to go, Jamie. <laughs> I just didn't know if you cut it off or not, if you were just talking to me like a regular person or if you just had to, had to turn it on. Did we wrap up the movie? Like, did we... We're here for Jennifer Garner Month, where we are going to be covering 13 on 30 for four weeks straight. <laughs> yeah, but I can't, I can't always tell when you're, like, talking to me and you're just making an edit point, so. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Now we're at the exciting part where we get into the introduction of Mark Ruffalo. Not to say that everything up until now was not exciting, but let's be honest. Mark Ruffalo is just as worthy of a month as Jennifer Garner is, right? Like, would you do a Mark Ruffalo month if I did one? Um... I don't know. He's husband material, though. He's husband material? Yeah. So you wouldn't record a month about his films podcasting with your real husband, but you wanted to comment that he is good husband material to replace me? I didn't even want to record this month, but I'm doing it because 
I gave you an option. I, first of all, I said, do you want to record a month with me? And I said, do you want to do Bad Movie Month or do you want to do a Jennifer Garner Month? And you said, I want to do Jennifer Garner Month. Now all of a sudden you're playing like I'm forcing you into this? Yeah, if anybody's listening to this, please send help. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he spits when he talks. Send help. <laughs> uh what, what's that? What's that line again? Kirk, you're spitting. Yeah, for this was Kirk, you're spitting. Uh, <laughs> Jamie's got back aches. I'm apparently drooling in this episode. And, and you know what I had done too is put on uh, one of those peel off masks. Yes, yes. Let's let's tell people about that. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I didn't mention that yet. Yeah. Okay. So right before we're getting ready to put the kids to bed, uh, Jamie walks downstairs in one of those face masks like Jennifer Garner is wearing in this movie. Yeah, except my, mine's not green like uh, like a cucumber one. It's it's a charcoal black one. Yeah, yeah. And Casper did not like it at all. It probably made me look like a ghost or something. Yeah, but he kept like, you want to take it off? Take it off? <laughs> and he actually started crying. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't crying because he was scared. He was just crying because it's, it's out of his routine. He's yeah. like, you put me to bed looking like mommy. I don't want you putting me to bed with a mask on. Yeah. Yeah, so lesson learned for next time. If I want to do face masks, I can only do them when the kids are actually sleeping. Is, well, they could be awake. Just don't break the routine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyways, Mark Ruffalo, uh, he's amazing. He's amazing in this movie. I, I knew who he was, but I you know, wasn't like a Mark Ruffalo fan until I saw this movie, really. Um, his introduction is so perfect. And I think you need an actor like Mark Ruffalo for this. There's going to be a lot of things I'll point out in this movie where the actors not only improvise. I mean, a lot of movies, especially comedies, have improv. But improv or even just things where the actors use their input to change what was on paper. I would love to read the original script of this movie because I guarantee that the character Matt was probably written very differently. Even just the way he's introduced. Like, you get everything about him in this opening scene. Like, when she starts buzzing his apartment and he's, he can't hear a word she's saying. So, eventually, was he says, like, uh, you know, if you're from Ming Gardens or whatever, then, then come up. If not, I'm not interested. She buzzes twice to signal that's her and then she comes up. Um, and then... As soon as he opens the door, he sees her, doesn't recognize her, which already tells you everything you need to know this movie. Yeah, and, that's been forever since they've seen each other. Yeah, and he couldn't care less, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and then his line, you're not Chinese. <laughs> They're going to repeat that later on. But uh, she is rambling and, and going crazy talking about her birthday party. He has no idea who she is at first. And then eventually it clicks in. And again, you don't need to have all the, the backstory we're going to get is going to come much later in the movie. But it basically just reinforces what you already get from just this introduction, but just his reactions. Him, he was like, Jenna. And she's like, yes. And he has to reinforce Jenna Rink, like, as in like, uh, you're that Jenna? Like, the last time you saw them, these two were inseparable. And now, 17 years later, he has to be reminded which Jenna is. He doesn't recognize her instantly. And even when he opens the door and she hugs him, there's this look on his face, which is like, it's not like, oh, great. It's not like, oh, I'm happy to see you. It's not even in the middle. It's just sort of like indifferent, like, um why are you here? Which is really his first words when she walks in. He, you know, she's t- mentioning, he's like, oh, you still take pictures? He goes, yeah, yeah. So uh, why are you here? Like, he's just, uh, I don't understand this at all. I mean, this is where uh, she starts to have her, her little fit too uh, because he basically reveals the fact that they are not really friends. They, they're not friends at all anymore. They're, they're estranged. Yeah, with, yeah. He, again, he doesn't even have to say why it is. He basically says, we're not friends anymore. I don't know you. 
and she starts kind of hyperventilating. <laughs> Again, just everything you need to know I about his. Love pillow. Well, before you get that, just everything you need to know about his character. The fact that like he goes from I don't know anything about you. I I I I'm not the person you should be coming to see. And then when she starts freaking out, he's like, "Okay, okay, settle down. I don't want somebody having a panic attack in my apartment." And then the the way that he's like backpedaling when she's like, "Do you want some water? Do you want some fresh air?" And then she's like, "I want a fluffy pillow." All right, fluffy. He's got his hands up his ear. Fluffy pillow, and he's like tripping backwards. Like it's this is not a guy who'd really done comedy like this before and he's so good at it i'm just gushing over both these actors they're amazing um after this we we get the the fluffy pillow sequence where (laughs) she's cuddling this fluffy pillow and finally calming down and uh um they have a bit of a conversation now there is a deleted scene in here i I don't remember the exact point it's at but there's one point before he's taking her home because they start talking about everything that happened um he's showing her the yearbook the high school yearbook and all that uh, this is where we get the revelation uh, that the girl that picked her up for work is the leader of the six chicks from earlier in the movie. She just didn't recognize the the name Lucy. And then uh, <laughs> Jenna says something like, oh, I didn't even recognize her. And Mark Ruffalo just like this this really casual, yeah, she's pretty big in that plastic surgery movement. <laughs> the way that there's the, the Matt and uh, Lucy back and forth insults is so fantastic. They're both, it's just give and take, you know? And that's something that's completely different from the original actors who were hired, the original kids, where it was just Tom Tom was bullying Matt. You know, I like that he's like, I'll give it back, I'll insult her back. They have got some better ones later on. Um, when she's going through a yearbook and she sees, you know, oh, I was a six chick, and he's like, yeah, you're pretty much the leader. And I love that everything she keeps saying, like, oh, I was the prom queen. He's like, yep. <laughs> like, you can tell this. there's a bitterness in his voice. Yeah. There's like a, a frustration, like. Because he even says something about, yeah, it's the worst years of my life or whatever. Um, and then, you know, she's talking about, oh, oh and uh, I do all this stuff now. Uh, and yeah, and she was saying, like, oh, I got everything I ever wanted. Yeah, and with his reaction? It was basically like, yeah. Congratulations, Congratulations. you got it all. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's like he's, he's, he's a nice guy, but it's like he still is angry about this. But he doesn't want to say it all. And I think that's one of the things that makes this movie is that he's not feeling the need to immediately be like, I think like, that I'm is a- more realistic as a guy, though, he's isn't it? He's completely realistic guy. A guy doesn't want to talk. A guy can be as angry as he's ever been in his life, and he just doesn't want to talk about it, you know? Doesn't want to talk about his feelings. Yeah, and, and again, it's those little things like that that I'd like, only Mark Ruffalo could bring to this movie an intelligent actor, an actor who wasn't used to this genre, who wanted to do it realistically and didn't want it to be a cliché. Those are the little things that, as a young guy watching this movie, I was like, I get this guy, you know? Do you have a hard time talking about your feelings when you're sad? Sad? Mad? Happy anything. I don't want to talk, period. Happy too? Sure. I'm happy happy right now. I don't want to talk. Let's stop this recording. We're done. Oh, is that why you do your your funny voices things? What funny voices things? (laughs) When you repress your feelings and you're just like, relationship. (laughs) Love. <laughs> oh no, that's not repressing. That's literally me mocking. You know, you and these you, feelings. You and your brother. We used to. Yeah, we used to True do that all the time. Love. Yeah, we would just find the 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 sappiest <laughs> words or comments, and we just mock it endlessly. Which you know, a, a movie like this, you would typically have that, but it, it's a smarter movie than like, that. You know? like, like even even nicknames like cupcake, <laughs> cuddling. Yeah, like. You just, just mocking sappy words. Like, I am not that, a sappy That's guy. such a guy thing. Okay, maybe it is. I don't know. But, yeah, um, so he sort of mentions, or she's talking about, like, you know, what you you never saw me. And he says, 
I don't know. I think I saw you like through a window six years ago, and then she said, "Did window?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then she's like, "Did you want to see me at Christmas?" And he says, "I'm a doesn't your crowd do St. Bart's at Christmas?" Like this is uh, uh, basically what's going to set up where he realizes she's not just having a panic. There's something actually wrong with her when she's just like getting home and she's like, "Who's St. Bart?" Like, and he's just like, "Okay, I think she actually needs some help." Uh, there is a deleted scene somewhere in the middle here where after the fluffy pillow and before he takes her home. Uh, he takes her to the doctor. There's there's a line that's out of the movie where she, he says something like, do you need to see a doctor? And they go to the doctor. If you ever see the deleted scene for this, it is the most pointless deleted scene in the movie. Uh, Which it's, is why it's a deleted scene? Yeah, there's basically just there, a doctor checks her out, says, you're perfectly healthy. And by the way, I really like that that hidden tattoo you have on her body, just trying to set up like, like you know, she's got some wild side to her or whatever. Uh, and then it cuts right back to this other scene. It, it's better without the scene, and I actually think it flows better, than just not that he has to take her to a doctor, just that he's like, I'll walk her home, and then he slowly starts realizing, yeah, there's a problem with her or whatever. Uh, when she gets to her apartment and she um, gets the call that she has a party to go to in a limo, uh, he's like, okay, you're back to normal. I'll see you later. She's inviting him to the party, and he's like, no, no, I can't go. Uh, that's going to be important when we get to the, the next sequence or whatever. Uh, there's the first nice moment that they have here. Where she says something about, um, you know, uh, uh, what if this is a dream and it's all real? And he says, well, then you got everything you wanted. And then they have that moment where she does the whole Ariva Derchi thing. And yeah, he. Yeah, and he doesn't want to say that. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's just Mark Ruffalo, how perfectly he plays this, where he's he's not being a jerk about it. He's just like, you know what? This isn't a fond memory. And that's kind of the thing, is that to her, they have all these fond memories, but to him, yeah. they had this bitter falling out. So even the fond memories for him, he's like, I don't want to think about that, you know? Well, and that's just, uh, I mean, you think about the, the difference from 13 to 30. That's 17 years. Yeah, but, but I'm not even talking about the, the 17 years. I'm talking about if this picked up, uh, five minutes later, after she had her tantrum on him and they had their falling out, uh, five minutes later, he's probably still like, I don't want to think about the good time. Like, I'm done with this girl, you know? Oh, no, I know. But I'm saying, like, for, for her, it's been, like, 17 minutes. But for her, for him, it's been 17 years. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, so the party that she gets to go to, this is the uh, the, the magazine's big party. And um, uh, we get the, the first of many musical montages. Now anybody who's seen this movie realizes there are about a dozen musical montages in this movie. It might be the one thing that really dates this as a 2004 movie, but I feel like these musical montages, like they work and they work for two reasons. One, the director Gary Winnick really uses these montages to set the tone of the movie. There's sequences where they play and it's like, you actually, you feel like I actually kind of didn't need a musical montage, you know? And the other thing is Jennifer Garner. Like this is the best acting she does in this movie some of the best acting is when she's just doing these reaction shots to picking out wardrobe and looking at the shoe rack. Like that's one of the, that's, that's one of the jokes that like, that's totally a girl thing. Well, I was going to say, that's one of the things that when she has that reaction, to the shoe rack, I'm looking at, wow, that's a lot of shoes, but a lot of women see that. And that's the biggest laugh they get in the movie because they're like, Oh, look at all those shoes. And that's something a guy wouldn't get. It is totally a girl thing. And I know that being a girl, but for me, that would be like a wall of cheese or a wall of video games. <laughs> Or um, back or, pills. <laughs> or, or like how you have like a, in a supermarket if she had like a like a clear glass freezer with like ice creams, all the ice creams she wanted, yeah. that would be mine. For me, it would be the, the bin, the, the Blu-ray bin at Walmart featuring all movies of Jennifer Garner, Renee Russo, and Brendan Fraser. <laughs> but 
what you had to dive into to find something? That's, I would swim in that bin. <laughs> you know, it is so appropriate that we're doing the Jennifer Garner and Brendan Fraser. Don't you really feel like Jennifer Garner is the female equivalent of Brendan Fraser? I've never really thought about it. But like, they, they, they can do it all. They do action, right? They do drama. They do comedy, and they have this likability quality, this innocent likability quality about them, where it's like, you just can't help but love them, you know? Yeah, I guess I could see that, yeah. Like, this movie and Blast from the Past, very similar movies, and the performance is very similar. There's very sin- this sincerity to the performances. Like, I really do think that that's probably the best comparison uh, for Jennifer Garner. Would the- she would be a female version of Brendan Fraser. Everybody loves Brendan Fraser right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely made a, a big comeback for sure. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't need a comeback, but if the world just immediately attaches themselves to Jennifer Garner the way they have to Brendan Fraser again, then I'll be very happy. And we'll have another month to cover. Well, she hasn't really stepped out of the spotlight completely like he did for a little while there. Well, no, but like this is one of the things that I, I think is going to be interesting covering in this month because we're going chronologically through the four movies we picked. The one movie we're skipping is Electra because we m- might be reserving that for a bad movie month. Sorry, s- sorry, Jennifer Garner. But um, uh, this movie, and then we're going to do The Odd Life of Timothy Green. Then we're going to be doing Draft Day, and then we're going to do Peppermint. And really, that's chronologically through her career. And it's covering different types of movies. But it, it was really interesting looking at her, her filmography when we were picking these movies to realize, like, as far as starring roles, Jennifer Garner movies, she had one more after this, which was a movie called Catch and Release, which was okay. I've heard of it. But... I have actually been curious to rewatch again. I saw it, and, and again, that's sort of the difference why when I say I was like nuts about this movie, it wasn't just because it starred Jennifer Garner, because I saw Catch and Release when it first came out, and I've never watched it again since. Hmm. And I didn't dislike the movie. It was just like, eh, you know, and another who one. She, who was she with in that movie? Uh, well, it's, it's, I'm not, kind of spoiled the end. Basically, it's a movie about a girl whose husband or fiance dies, and the movie starts after his death and after his funeral, and it's basically all of his best friends kind of staying with her to help her through the morning. So, she's technically with everybody in that movie, I don't know, but, uh, uh, yeah, like, she, she had that as a starring role, you know? She had Peppermint recently, but most of the other movies she's done have been, like, movies with people. You know, obviously she... She did the leading lady thing for a while. She was the leading lady in Arthur. She was the leading lady in The Invention of Lying with Ricky Gervais. She was the leading lady in Ghost of Girlfriend Pass with Matthew McConaughey, you know? Uh, she did um, a movie called Butter that we saw. Do you remember that with Hugh Jackman about butter oh, carving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a really fun movie. But again, that's an ensemble movie. So then she had the ensemble movies like Juno mm-hmm. and Butter. Draft Day would be one like that as well, you know? Um, she was really great in Juno. I really liked her in that one. Yeah, I mean, we just saw her on the Oscars in the Juno reunion. I mean, I'm kind of sad that that reunion was not uh, the reunion of uh, 13 Going on 30, or maybe Draft Day. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, but still, yeah, great. Um, and then, uh, obviously, The Odd Life of Timothy Green, That's it's, it's really a shared movie. So that's, I, I've never seen that one, actually. I swear I've shown it to you. No, I don't you, think so. You're going to be interested to watch it next, because it, it's a very underrated movie. But... Getting back to 13 Going on 30, I mean, this was a starring role for her, and I'm, I'm kind of wonder if she sort of made the decision that she didn't want to be the leading lady after all. Because, I mean, she's, think, she spent five years as the leading lady on Alias, and the toughest thing was the final season of Alias, where she was pregnant and wasn't capable of being the leading lady in an action series, so they kind of had to hire several other new actors to fill the void while she was still in the background, and then the end really got to come up. But maybe it was an intentional thing. Maybe... She just picked movies. I mean, the fact is, all those movies I mentioned, Arthur and Inventional Lying, Ghost Girlfriend Past, I mean, 
she's still prominent in those movies. It's not like she's a B player or anything. But I, I would love to see her do another comedy as a Jennifer Garner comedy. Uh, the other thing that I thought about is this movie comes out 2004. This is sort of at the peak of female-led rom-coms. You had the early 2000s, which was all Sandra Bullock, Reese Witherspoon, and then Jennifer Garner in there, right? And that that whole genre sort of collapsed within a couple of years where it just wasn't popular. J-Lo would be another one in there, you know? Yeah, Lindsay Lohan, which, I mean, she hadn't done anything in forever now, but... Yeah, yeah, like that was so big around the time, and maybe it was just that... Bridget Jones... Yeah, Renee Zellweger, you could throw her in there. But it could just be that, that entire genre, which really what is what she's best at. As, as big of a fan as I am of her, an action star, I think she's best at stuff like this. And that genre sort of went away. And, you know, it, she started doing just comedies, like co-starring comedies, which is great. And the ensemble movies, I mean, let's also mention Dallas Buyers Club. I mean, that movie got Oscar nominations. She didn't get, Matthew McConaughey won the Oscar for that. But I don't I mean, know if I've seen that one or not, but I love her in Draft Day. Yeah, well, Dallas Buyers Club, very different performance, but uh, but but great and dramatic movie. But anyways, this is really her at her peak. This is her having the most fun and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, these montages, this, that's what I was originally getting at. These montages where it's just her reaction shots, amazing. And as you said, the shoe thing, that got a reaction out of women that guys weren't necessarily going to get, you know? And that's what's so great about this movie. Is it, it's like Mark Ruffalo was in this movie so that guys would get something about it, you know? That maybe women wouldn't understand the same way. Uh, one movie we greatly disagree on is the movie 500 Days of Summer, which I, I I still maintain. If you rewatch that from the male point of view, you will look at it differently. Yeah, you told me that, and I watched it again. I still didn't like it. But, but that was a movie which it was a romantic comedy that was from the guy's point of view. I mean, the entire purpose of the movie is this is how the guy sees things. And then the movie sort of reveals at the end, the woman saw it differently, you know, but as a guy's movie, there was things about that that maybe you as a woman wouldn't have gotten, but this movie, you get those jokes in there with the the shoes and stuff. But um, even like the limo ride through Times Square, I mean, it's just these things that they just look like, they they look like these these great movie moments, even yeah. though there's no dialogue. And this movie's full of these montages. This I, one, I like all the little things that they did too, like to show her acting young and silly and stuff. Like even when she's in her her boardroom there in her meetings, and she has the fruit roll up wrapped around her finger, and yeah. she bites it like. Well, even when she's getting ready for this party and the makeup, like she's she's doing her eye makeup, and you can tell she's like, oh, I'm like ready to poke my eye out. Yeah. And the wardrobe she picks, it's like. A girl in 1987 would have decided, a young girl, a teenager in 1987 would have been like, this is what people dress like, but it's like it's 2004, but yet still she pulls it off, right? Uh, the elevator scene with this neighbor of hers, um, this scene actually, here's some trivia, it was played in reverse. So the way the scene starts is she's all pleasant to her, hi, how's it going, right? Uh, and then the girl's basically like, hi, like, why are you talking to me? And she's like, well, we're neighbors. And she's like, yeah, but usually just ignore me. And then it, it's followed by the whole, oh, I like your your dress. And she says, uh, I like your shoes or whatever. And then she says, I like your dress. And that's what she does the whole, that's because I got these incredible boobs to fill out. She holds her boobs. Uh, that scene was reversed. She walked into the elevator and the girl was like, hey, I like or, I like your shoes. And she's like, I like your dress. I, I have the boobs. And then it evolved into, why are you talking to me? Which then, as soon as they looked at the scene, they're like, this scene plays better by her being standoffish and then you warm up to her, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that works better. Yeah, and then uh, they have a quick scene in the lobby or whatever. She talks about wearing her underwear. Uh, which, by the way, the underwear that, that she pulls out, which, you know, when she's trying on her clothes, she pulls out that, that thong or whatever and she's looking at like, what am I supposed to do with this... You know, you know that scene. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, there is a deleted scene 
where there's a line of dialogue where she says, what am I, a stripper? Which is actually a really funny scene, but it's like maybe for a PG movie, they were kind of worried about putting it in there, but it is hilarious that she looked at that and the actual line in the movie is, am I a stripper? Um, The party, when she gets there, of course, she's all excited uh, that she's at this party. And then she also has these weird, like just the little 13 girl reactions where the guy's eating the crab and she's looking at him almost like scared. Like what, what have I walked into? Yeah. Um, another thing that uh, just sort of what I've been talking about with Gary Winnick, listen to his commentary and you'll see how a movie is put together on the simplest level. Uh, the the shot where she's eating the shrimp or whatever and she show, throws the shrimp tail and it lands on that one guy, right? Yep. There's the repeat of that shot later on where she throws the, the pineapple or whatever off the balcony and it lands oh, yeah. on the guy's drink. Yeah. So that was a reshoot. That wasn't in the original movie. What happened is... They screened the movie for the studio. The studio said, you know, when she throws that pineapple, it really should have been the same guy. That would have been a great joke. And they all were like, well, why didn't we think of that? So they actually brought that guy back to do that one shot of it landing on him because, like, I can't believe we missed that joke. So he even is willing to admit, like, sometimes, you know, the audience uh, reactions are going to tell you things that you don't think of as a filmmaker. Sometimes the studio is going to tell you things. And that's why... I've often said with a lot of these filmmakers, you could see some of the best filmmakers in the world when they get that unlimited power, that, you know, unlimited, the Emperor Palpatine power. Unlimited power. Yeah. When they get that Emperor Palpatine power uh, where they they don't have to get anybody's okay, they just produce their own movie. Sometimes that's when directors go downhill. And this is a guy who's willing to admit on his first big budget movie, this indie director who a lot of people would think a rom-com is beneath them. He's like, yeah, they had a suggestion and they were completely right, you know? Um, but uh, the party I mean she's obviously very excited by it I, I also love Andy Serkis's reaction to, to her dressy what does he say it's like Barbie meets Britney <laughs> yeah yep great drop in yeah <laughs> no you asked me and I said yes that's what he yes, said it's okay <laughs> yeah I just love what though when he's talking about the party and he's like do I smell do I stink yeah and then well, she, she's all serious she's like waving her hand towards her she's like nope nope yeah like again just the innocence of not realizing this where everybody's leaving the party and his exact line here do i smell do i have bad breath am i malodorous in some way and she's actually like no no uh and her idea is like well it's it's the music like if you played something like with a beat yeah that then people would be dancing and he basically says do whatever you want but we're all gonna lose our jobs if this doesn't turn around now here's the joke that is lost in time she does that i love that little 13 year old shuffle she does like i don't know how to walk in high heels and give these little details it's like you know it was just jennifer garner just winging it uh and she goes up to the dj and the, even the way it's shot is brilliant. like no you know looking back now you can look back and say this was meant as a joke the way that the music starts and you don't show the reaction of the people and then when they turn on the audience or, or the, i guess the people at the party everybody's just not doing anything that's the way it's viewed now but in 2004, when this was in theaters, people got a huge laugh out of the reaction when Michael Jackson was playing. Why? Because in 2004, it was not necessarily as acceptable to, I don't know, be proud of being a Michael Jackson fan, to listen to Michael Jackson. Like, he's had a lot of, you know, controversies over the years. And when this movie came out, it that was one of the big laughs of the movie was just the facts like, this 13-year-old girl from 1987 has no idea that maybe you shouldn't play Michael Jackson now, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's funny. 
but you don't I, view I, I it. Ne- I never really thought about it. Yeah, but like that was the way it was viewed in 2004, and you don't really get that now. But you can see even the way it's filmed now. If you didn't know that, it was like that's what they were going for. This reaction of people and her little awkward dance, and just the way that like she's like so timid doing it, and then when the spotlight hits her and she's like blinded. Yeah. Um, her trying to do this thriller dance. This is probably what the movie's most well known for is the thriller sequence. Uh, now let me ask you a question, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, your take based on not the movie, uh, the story or anything like that, just watching Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo in this sequence, a willing participant or not? Mm, no. Based on what? I mean, he he doesn't seem like he wants to do it, but eventually he warms up to it because of her. Well, but that's, that's the story. What I'm saying is Mark Ruffalo's performance. Do you view this as a man who enjoyed doing this? Um, probably not, no. He doesn't seem like the type to, to, to just dance. So, Mark... He's, he's not a John Travolta. Yeah, well, Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner, a couple years ago, both uh, did an interview. I think it might have even just within the last year. They both did an interview talking about this movie, and Mark Ruffalo claims he almost quit the movie over this sequence. Uh, he said he didn't want to do it because he was terrible. He made a comment about how Jennifer Garner rehearsed for six minutes and did it flawlessly and he rehearsed for six hours and couldn't do any of it. Uh, Jennifer Garner backs up that Mark Ruffalo was not happy to do this and that it almost stopped the movie. Now, I think the false story about this come over the years is that people would take that comment seriously. And Mark Ruffalo is the type of guy to joke around. Uh, there is a feature on the DVD where all the actors talk about what they did growing up and Mark Ruffalo actually steals the guy who plays a hockey player, tells a story about a band he was in and they intercut this with Mark Ruffalo telling the stories if it was him. Literally stealing the guy's story. Mark Ruffalo is a joker. So I don't believe that he literally wanted to quit the movie, but he was unwilling to do this. Now, the funny thing is the, the, the other part of this, why people take it seriously is because Mark Ruffalo apparently objected to being in this scene, not because of the dance, but originally because he didn't believe that the character Matt would show up. He really had questions why Matt showed up. So, I'm, I'm going to ask you, again, your opinion. Why do you think, now based on the story, why do you think Matt shows up here? Well, I mean, like you said, he he's obviously a guy that still has a lot of bitterness and a lot of stuff that he really hasn't gotten over fully. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I will, just, well, just to side for a second, just let, going on a, a little bit of a discussion on that. Would you say he hasn't gotten over it? Because my interpretation is he's gotten over it, but he's like, I'm over it to the point where I just don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm not holding resentment. He's like, it's just in the past. I don't even want to think about it. Well, it's kind of just like, you know, obviously in in this sequence and stuff, it, he doesn't look back on fond memories because obviously they disconnected and stuff. But yeah. it was almost like his true love she was the one to get away mm-hmm. you know what i mean as as the saying goes yeah and and so why do you think he shows up here then because he's not like when he leaves her apartment he's basically like all right i'm out of here yeah. you know he doesn't seem like he's all of a sudden yeah. oh that was nice well no 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 yeah but the thing is what i think watching the movie and every single time i've watched it is he just wants to try to be as standoffish as possible but the reality is is that he has it's kind of hard to put into words he has the fondness and the closeness of those memories being so close with her for years and later in the movie 
he says he's never been as crazy about a girl as he was when he was in school. And he's obviously talking about Jenna. Like, that's what the movie's talking about. So when you hear him say that and you look back on the entire movie and you even watch the movie again, it's very obvious that no girl has ever compared, even though she hurt him so badly, Mm -hmm. no girl has ever compared or even come close. So you think he's at this party for her? That's what I think, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to... uh, Something that never even occurred to me, because I would have thought... I always thought the same thing, right? He's like, you know what? I'll do her this favor. I'll, I'll come to the party. You know, maybe I can reconnect. Again, he's not thinking... I'll get together with her, but he's like... Well, because, yeah, he, he's uh, engaged. Yeah, he's like, you know, burn bridges, you know, done, whatever. Uh, water under the bridge. Sorry, that's the one I'm looking at, not burn bridges. Uh, <laughs> that's the opposite problem. Yeah, exactly. Uh, water under the bridge, you know, I'll make amends and I'll show up at this party for her sake. Uh, that's sort of the way I always looked at it. Like, he's like, you know what? Maybe I can still be friends with her. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, he really did take this movie seriously. You would think an actor of his caliber would be like, you know, oh, I'm just going to do a rom-com, I'll phone it in. Like, he wanted to understand why his character did everything. So the origin of this, even though he didn't want to do the thriller dance sequence because he knew he would suck at it, he wanted this movie, every moment of him as Matt to be believable. And he took that so far where he had discussions before he agreed to do this movie. He's like, I need to know why Matt shows up at this party because I don't believe that this guy who was basically ruined by this girl and is happily engaged would show up when he's happily engaged. And what they settled on is, he's a photographer, he's making a living, he thinks that if he shows up here, he might be able to get some business contacts and and some cards. The real reason why the Matt character shows up is for business reasons. And at the moment that it becomes personal, and this actually makes so much more sense now, because when the thriller dance starts, he obviously comes in, right? And by the way, the, the flip side of that is that even though Mark Ruffalo is bad, what you see in the movie is not as bad as Mark Ruffalo is. Mark Ruffalo went the extra mile. He's like, I'm already going to suck at this dance, so I'm going to suck even worse than I would naturally because that's what the character Matt would do. Matt hasn't done this in you know 17 years. Matt is uncomfortable in this position. So what we're seeing is like 80% Mark Ruffalo sucking as a dancer and 20% him like, I'm going to incorporate this in my character because I'm a real actor. Uh, but the reason that all of a sudden when he starts to enjoy himself and he leaves is because he isn't the guy who's like, I'm going to have fun with my old friend while I'm engaged. He showed up here because he's like, maybe it'll be a business opportunity. And as soon as it became a personal thing, he's like, I got to leave, you know? And when he decides that he wants to start being personable with her again is when it becomes a business relationship. And, and I never really thought about that way. Does it make him more of a superficial character? Maybe, but in his mind, he's like, this character has to make sense. Matt has to have a reason for everything he does. Yeah, I guess that actually makes sense. Yeah. And there's going to be another deleted scene I'll talk about later, which again will completely change your perspective on a lot of these characters. Uh, Even if it doesn't make it the movie, I think the movie's better for not having these deleted scenes, but you can see where they put thought into everything. Uh, The thriller dance is amazing. It's amazing for so many reasons. One, because everybody's joining one at a time. Uh, two, because not everybody's perfect. Like every person is dancing a little bit. Some people are doing it better than others. Some are awful at it. Some clearly don't know all the moves. And then you have Andy Serkis just doing the moonwalk. You know, <laughs> he he did that pretty good, actually. He did, yeah. Uh, better than I could do for sure. And but like when Matt leaves, like it is kind of this this heartbreaking moment when he leaves. Uh, because you just see his reaction where he's like, you know, I'm not ready for this. Like, there's still that bitterness, which they haven't even talked about in the movie, but you get it all. 
Uh, and then the party sort of wraps up there. So I would say the thriller sequence is what this movie is most well known for, probably shared with one of the next scenes coming up. We get one of these montages, uh, you know, where she's getting into the publishing industry. She's reading the publishing for dummies book. Um, she's giving herself a facial, I think, is a sequence. That's what you tried to do. <laughs> Casper made you take off your facial. A face mask. A facial mask, whatever. I don't. I think a facial is something different. Okay, a face... Although I'm not a rich person, so I mean... Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely not rich. Uh, we're not poor, but we're not rich. Uh, anyways, um, the scene following the, the sequence, this is where uh, we probably have the second most famous scene in the movie. So this is where she's out with Lucy celebrating who knows what. She talks about, you know, uh, she she's decided that being 30 is going to be great or whatever. You're getting the impression this is supposed to be her birthday celebration, but it's not because later we see the date revealed. So like, this is still all in the lead up to her birthday. So she technically didn't jump forward to being 30. She jumped forward to being 29 and Uh, nine tenths or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, which I'll just say it now. So I don't, uh, forget it later. Um, when the movie starts and her dad comes in, was she stuffing her bra or whatever? And the, the, the camcorder, the old eighties camcorder reveals the date as May 27th, 1987 or something like that. Uh, Later on in the movie, we're going to get May 27th come up. So we're still quite a ways away from there. I mean, this is maybe even a few weeks out from her birthday. Uh, But this is the other famous scene where Lucy's basically saying, you know, oh, check out the guy behind you who's checking you out. And she turns around and this is brilliantly shot because she turns around and you see this guy who's kind of eyeing her up. Like he's literally giving her the eyebrow. Like, hey, hey, you know, hey. Yeah, I remember. That's that's the way I would look at her. But, uh, (laughs) but she, of course, would also go right past me because she's like, oh, seriously? Uh, so she's like, all right, I'm going to go pick him up. And I love that she walks right past this guy, goes up to the table of some 12-year-old kid who's sitting there eating a hamburger. Uh, and she's like, can I borrow your ketchup all awkwardly? And then she's like, I just came over here because I think you're really cute. And he's just like, so you want to go? Like all the call cocky and confident. You want to go out sometimes? She goes, sure, can you drive? And Lucy, you can see her coming in the background. Well, she just grabs her, and this is the, the line that was in all the trailers and all the promotions. It's like, do you want to get arrested? I meant that guy. And she's like, the man? Ooh, gross. <laughs> yeah, that was a funny moment. I like that. That, that. that scene is so good, and it is so perfectly shot. Like, this could have been done so many ways wrong. It, it had to be where you don't reveal the kid sitting there. You see the guy, and even when she goes up, there's still that moment of doubt. I mean, everybody had it spoiled in the trailers, unfortunately, but there's still that moment of doubt where she's like, what's she doing at the kid's table? But then you realize this is a 13-year-old girl. Of course, she's going to be checking out the 13-year-old boy and not the other guy. Um, So she's out on the street uh, leaving this place because she doesn't want to get arrested. (laughs) Or Lucy doesn't want to get arrested. And you see naked guy from her apartment earlier yelling across the street. Uh, And this is where Lucy reveals, like, she's basically saying, oh, uh, you know, uh, he's famous or something like that because people are asking for his autograph. And she mentions, yeah, he plays for the New York Rangers or whatever. Well, he comes across the street and all of a sudden she realizes, oh, this is supposed to be my boyfriend or whatever. Uh, We also have Matt coming in. So now all the characters are all in one scene here. Matt's out with another girl, which you find out is his fiance. Uh, And the fiance here, now you didn't recognize her at all, which you probably wouldn't because she's made up to look very differently but we know her from another movie that uh we love that we watch all the time that bombed but a, a lot of people think this movie was severely underrated that was uh john carter Mars. she played the character deja thoris the the female lead in the john carter book series and the movie series she's fantastic and i'm kind of shocked she never became a bigger star 
you know, obviously this is maybe one of her early roles. Like she wasn't famous at this point. I know she also had a role in one of the Wolverine movies. She played Logan's wife in, I think, the first Wolverine movie, but never became a big star. Kind of unfortunate because I mean, she's, even in this movie, she's really funny and in a sympathetic way. And keep in mind when I said sympathetic because of what's going to happen later on. Uh, but uh, one thing that I noticed here is that Matt's T-shirt. Did you notice the, the T-shirt, what he was wearing? No. It's a Talking Heads shirt, which is the band that plays Burning Down the House that he was listening to that everybody thought he was weird for later. Oh. Right back to what I said about how, uh, you know, he, he, in 1987, everybody looked at him as a loser, but anybody watching this in 2004 would be like, Matt's probably the cool kid, right? He's wearing a Talking Heads shirt. Uh, so there's kind of an awkward exchange here where it's revealed, yeah, they're uh, they're engaged or whatever. The boyfriend, Alex, uh, comes up, the, the hockey player here, and... Uh, Matt, of course, because Jenna can't remember his name because obviously she doesn't know who he is. And Matt, of course, knows instantly who he is because he's a hockey fan, I guess, because Mark Ruffalo is smart and smart people love hockey, right? Sure. Uh, there's also a great scene. This is that back and forth that they really got on the reshoots, even with the kids, where uh, Lucy's talking about how, oh, I didn't even recognize you because you must have lost all that baby fat, like because making reference to the fact that they picked on for being fat uh, when he was a kid or whatever. And he goes, yeah, I didn't recognize you. Did you get a nose job? <laughs> and she just has this look like, yeah, great, man. <laughs> they don't like each other, but it's it's this, uh, I would say, harmless exchange they always have. It's not the way that the original scenes played out where she was clearly a bully. I think it's better this way where Matt is a guy who's always been able to defend himself. Um uh, there's also a great line here that the hockey player, the boyfriend has, where he's saying to Matt, like, oh, you want an autograph? I don't uh, do butts. Yeah, he's saying, like, uh, you want me to sign your shirt or your forehead? I don't do butts. D- does that remind you of somebody, a celebrity we we met before? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to tell the story or you want me to? You can tell it. Yeah. So we're at a Comic-Con, and I grew up as a massive fan of Hercules the Legendary Journeys with Kevin Sorbo. And uh, Kevin Sorbo was at a Comic-Con. Like, I have to meet Kevin Sorbo because, like, this show, I would go to bed every night. Watch The way I watched 13 Go on 30 a few years later, as a teenager, I would go to bed every night watching Hercules' The Legendary Journeys. I would stay up until 1 or 2 in the morning. I can't remember what time it was, but, like, early morning just to watch Hercules. And, and how old were you then? I, I probably would have been anywhere from 14 to 16, somewhere around there. I mean, the show was on after that, but I think that's when I discovered the show was when it was being, it was in reruns already, so it had been on a couple of years. Ah, okay. But Kevin Sorbo, you know, uh, they, they do things at Comic-Cons, obviously, where uh, you purchase a picture. They have their 8x10s or whatever, yeah. and you can pick the picture and sign it. And I just asked them, I'm like, hey, like, you know, I, I, I have my box set here. I, w- I would love for you to autograph my Hercules DVD set can I just pay you and do that? And he goes, yeah, sure. And he's like, I'll sign whatever you want. I'll sign a boob. I'll sign a testicle. <laughs> and then I just look at Kevin Sorbo. I'm like, DVD's fine. Thank you. <laughs> he has such a good sense of humor, that guy. Well, and he he also was like, hey, you know what? You paid for it. Take the picture anyways, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I have a Kevin Sorbo picture somewhere here. Uh, but uh, yeah, this guy is obviously Kevin Sorbo. Uh, so... Jenna goes back to the hockey player's house. Uh, this is She doesn't know why he wants to go. And Lucy's, of course doesn't realize that she's not actually this dumb she's like so what am i supposed to do when i get back there it was you know play and of course she's talking about sex but uh she's like what you mean like games and stuff he goes yeah like games so she's when she's like all kinds of games yeah so that's what she says yeah and, and i think what really sets this movie apart from big you know big is very similar to this about a 13 year old who becomes a 30 year old but the 30 year old 
Tom Hanks always has his friend to play off of, right? In this movie, every other character, they don't realize that she's a 13-year-old girl, you know? So they say things like this, thinking like, oh, she's just playing dumb or flirting or whatever. When they are back at the apartment, it's the same thing here, where, uh, of course, I love this guy's apartment where he just has pictures of himself everywhere. Uh, but again, no character in this movie is unredeemable, except for one, which we'll debate in a bit. Uh, when he's coming right up to her and obviously ready to have sex, and she is basically like, do you want to play a game? And then she's like, do you have Battleship? <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I got Battleship. There is a callback to this. When she goes into the closet in the beginning of the movie, right before she turns 30 or whatever, uh, Battleship is the board game in the closet, which is kind of a, a neat little ah, nod they have in there. Okay, I didn't realize that. Uh, this was apparently a Jennifer Garner improv. Like, the line was just, do you want to play a game? And then she, on the spot, was like, do you have Battleship? Like, again, an excited 13-year-old and kid. And he was saying something like, uh, I'll show you my Battleship. Yeah, I'll show you my Battleship. And but she- I love the part in this scene, though, where he throws, is it his boxers or something? Like, obviously, yeah. he still has undies on, but... Like, it's his, his boxers or something like that at her, and, she, and she's just like, you gross. You gross. Yeah, like, this is this is another it's, one it's of... It's totally, like, a 13-year-old girl thing. Yeah, and this is another one of the best scenes that Jennifer Garner has, and you know what ton of it's improvised. I mean, they've even said that most... They shot this scene so many times. I mean, this basically is another one of the most famous scenes in the movie, the boyfriend, Alex's Ice Ice Baby dance. Uh, because first, he's just trying to, you know get it on with he's trying to have sex on the couch and she keeps doing these awkward things now there's an extended version of this where he kind of wraps his arms around her and she like goes limp and slides all the way through his arms and off the couch uh they basically cut to it where he's like nibbling on her ear and she's just giggling now that's totally I, you that, that is 100% me like I basically said like this is me <laughs> yeah. still as a married man for yeah, who knows how long you're very ticklish yeah well, we have chill I'm I, I still if, if you were to try to do that to me I would still I would just be like her like ah! Uh, but you know, she, she, you know, is basically like playing, he thinks playing standoffish. So he's like, Oh, I owe you a raunchy striptease. So he turns on a stereo and you got ice ice baby. And he does his dance. Now this oh, guy, oh, the best part of that dance, hold on. I'm sorry. After interrupt you, the best oh, part, ahead. the best part of that dance though. And it's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Cause he just looks so pleased with himself is when he's dancing and he's going back and forth. And then he, he, he makes the motion. Like he's like the slap uh, shot. Yeah. Doing the slap shot. He goes, yeah. <laughs> yes, that smile, like, I'm yeah, so cool. It's the slap shot followed by the, yeah, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> this guy is so the good. Best. It's the best. There's a deleted scene I can't wait to talk about with you. Probably the best deleted scene that didn't make it into this movie that he has later on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this strip tease is just him dancing Ice Ice Baby. And apparently the actor did, like, I don't know, like, 12 different versions of this. And they're just like, do something different. Do something different. And he just would come up with all these things, you know? Uh, and this is the one that made the cut. And as you said, you know, it, she's best. she's so uncomfortable when he throws his shorts at her. And she's like, you gross. <laughs> uh, and she even has, like, the, like, the, it's not just, like, her saying, you gross. Like, she's got everything down. Like, the man is, Jennifer Garner is so brilliant. Happy birthday, Jennifer, by the way. Coming soon. Uh, but uh, uh, she keeps saying, it's like, we could play something else. And she's mentioning all these board games. Now, the scene that follows this, there's an alternate version of. Uh, the version we see in this movie is a replacement for another scene that was going to be cut later on that was a replacement for something else that was cut. So it's kind of all convoluted, but 
when was, she comes, was that English that you just spoke? It was close, but um, <laughs> but she comes out of her apartment. They cut immediately after this, and she's all upset talking to the the girl in the elevator, the thirteen year old girl in her building. He didn't want to play games at all, and of course, this girl's like, "Oh, that's just like boys or whatever." It's just this brief scene, but this scene was actually originally, and you can still see the scene. Uh, originally, she comes out and she's on the phone with Lucy, getting ready to get picked up from work, and she's going, "He didn't want to play Battleship, you know," uh, and it's just her upset now. You don't see the other side of that conversation. It's more – we have enough scenes of her being the 13-year-old girl in front of people who don't realize she's a 13-year-old girl. I think it's better having the neighbor. But it's funny because the reason this neighbor scene's in here is because there's another scene later on that the neighbor was cut from that they replaced with another scene. So a, a lot of stuff happens in the editing process and the, the uh, formation of this movie. Um, we uh, – we have um, uh, the, the first line here that she gives to this neighbor of hers, the girl, where she says, love is a battlefield, which is going to come later on. And the girl, of course, she's... Great song. It is a great song. But yeah, uh, but I'll have some issues with that scene when we get to it. But she, the girl's like, that's deep. Uh, when she's in the boardroom, we get her again, still being a kid. Like, she's just eating the fruit roll-up rolled up on her hand. You just, completely breeze ba- past the teenage girl sleepover that she was having. That's... I, you're, you, I would have breezed past that if it had come up in the movie yet, which it hasn't. That's the whole Love is a Battlefield. No, Love is a Battlefield. Yes, that is the Love is a Battlefield musical number, but it's in this scene where they're just coming out of the apartment and she's complaining about how he oh, didn't wait, want to yes, play Battleship. You're right, you're right, you're she right. says Love is a Battlefield and the girl says that's deep thinking right. she's philosophizing. Yeah. She's actually just mentioning a song. Uh, so yeah, the boardroom scene, this is where Andy Serkis' character, the, the boss, what is his name? Why do I always forget his name of all characters in this movie? Uh, yeah, what is his name? Richard. Richard. Yeah. yeah. He's, everybody else is having fun throwing ideas around and he's like, you know. Oh, he's, he's the best, by the way. One of my favorite parts of the whole movie is, is when they're talking about, uh, it, it's in a little bit to come still, but it, when they're talking about um, uh, Matt's character and then he's saying, is he. Um, uh, well, let's, okay, you want to talk about that one now or do you want to save it? No, I want to talk about it now. Okay, it's so, so funny. Okay, so he says what? Is, isn't it, is he Arthur or Martha? Yeah. And then he's like, uh, he, he's like Matt Flamhoff or something. I forget what the thing yeah. is. And then, uh, she, no, no is, is, he he, gay? is he gay? And then she kind of pauses and she's like, are you gay? All right. So confession time here. When I saw How, this movie. Are you gay? No. <laughs> I, I should have phrased that better. Um, <laughs> embarrassment time here. When I first saw this movie, it wasn't until she said that, are you gay? And he giggles. I'm like. Oh, his character was supposed to be gay? Oh like, gosh, I didn't get it. Really? Hey, Jim, you have two gay brothers. It's easier for you to, to, to pick up on something like that. I, I do have pretty good gator. Well, you have to. You've got two gay brothers, you know? Uh, that's, that's a large percentage. It's, it's at least 25% of the brothers you have. <laughs> you have a lot of brothers. But, uh, but yeah, like, I didn't get that moment until he kind of giggled. Because I don't know what that whole Arthur Martha thing is. And then even when he's like, is he gay? And she's like, are you gay? I'm like, I just thought he was a fun, flamboyant guy. Like, I didn't know. Well, I mean, not all people that are gay are flamboyant, but he is well, very Well, that's, that's my entire point, you know? Uh, like, but, I, but he is very gay. But, but that's also something that 17 years later, I mean, you go back to other movies in 2004, it was still let's play on gay stereotypes. It was very over the top. Yeah. This movie, let's at least give me the benefit of the doubt here, and let's give Jenna's character the benefit of the doubt. He wasn't an obvious gay for 2004, you know? Well, like, I, I just think... For 2004 that, movies. I just think that at that point, there probably wasn't as much as we're used to seeing now. Yeah, like, there's one show I could think about. It's one of my favorite shows of all time, Spin City with Michael J. Fox. Oh, I thought you were going to say Glee. 
no well, that that one is pretty obvious who's gay in that show jamie um but spin city uh michael j fox there's a character on that show who is a gay character that there is nothing about the character you would normally say this character's gay you know that's the only other time i could think about where it's like i think it was they may have revealed it in the first episode but i think it was like two or three episodes in where i'm like oh he's supposed to be gay like and that's kind of the fun thing about it with andy circus I, yeah i look back now and i'm like i could see it more but in 2004 it's just not what you expect out of movies you know i just thought this guy's really fun <laughs> I, I like this guy he's he's fun um I, but anyways so he says that corporates told them that they their numbers are really bad because sparkle the other magazine is stealing your ideas needs to uh, or they're stealing their ideas and they're getting all the, the subscriptions. So they need to redesign. Everybody's opposed to this idea, except for Jenna. She's like, this is a chance to have some fun. Um, he is putting, uh, putting out there. Okay. Well, you and Lucy can redesign this thing. Cause you're, you're my go-tos, right? Um, there is a line here, uh, where she goes back to her office quickly, where her secretary is delivering her messages and every message is like horrible. Like one of them I put here, uh, I hope you die in one of your casual pantsuits or something like that. And that was, I hope you choke on your own bile. Uh, <laughs> and, and she's like, okay, I'll just read the rest myself. Maybe I should just read the rest myself. Yeah. Cause again, like she doesn't know what a terrible person she is, but this- <laughs> it was such a 13 year old girl reaction to cause, she, cause she's not even like, uh, like, oh, those people or anything like that, like how most grown-ups would be. She's like, wow, that's really mean. Yeah. Wow, that was so mean. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the the other part of this scene, which, again, I have something that I don't think is really properly revealed in the movie, and even if you include deleted scenes, is isn't properly revealed, but this is where she gets visited by her, what would be the, the male term of a mistress? Uh, her mistress. Mist, her, her. Okay, well, I was going to say her mistress. Uh, so... Her mistress here, Todd. Maybe maybe that's the wrong term, but I mean, I'm. Uh, what's what's the term when you are only with one person? Monogamous. Yes, I'm monogamous. Married. So, I don't know. So, well, some people aren't monogamous that are married. So okay, you yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> some people will verify that for us. But anyways, uh, but yeah, like she gets visited by this guy, which she's of course completely innocent to this doesn't realize what's happened she's like oh yeah sure what is it she says um todd uh the husband of tracy from the art department is here and she's fine send him in now uh right before this happens i should also mention there's the the angry phone call that the secretary gets this guy screaming the line it's actually the director gary winnick who plays the other side of that phone conversation she just has a please don't take that tone with me i'm just a secretary like just this defeated woman she's so good in this movie yeah. uh probably the one unsung here like everybody else in this movie gets their due i don't think that arlene ever gets her due but yeah the, the, her mistress who comes in here who uh is married to a woman that she works with who of course starts kissing her and she's all repulsed he even calls her pookie she goes she has that line of ew pukey yeah pookie pukey uh now here's the trivia for you who in the office is this guy married to I thought you just said Tracy from the art department. But who is Tracy of the characters in this work setting? It's a character we see in this movie. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't remember. Okay. So do you know the character? She has very short hair. And when Jenna puts her pitch together, there's Arlene who's helping her. And there's also this other girl with short hair who's helping her. I forget already. I don't know. Well, I'll look it up here for you. I'll I'll jog your memory. But this is the other nice girl that that actually goes along with jenna's plans and helps her um so this guy is married to somebody that jenna actually 
has helped her later on, you know, which almost makes Jenna knows who Tracy is. And at no point do we really have a scene where she's like, so I slept with your husband. And you got to feel like, is this the right person for her to say, like, come with me? I will make a career. Like, it's almost a little bit sleazier that she doesn't say anything to this woman afterwards, you know? Yeah, but you know, though, you pay attention to the movie and you you quickly realize that uh, before she, um, you know, was transported into this reality or whatever you want to call it, that she was pretty much a scumbag. Yeah, but, and again, she makes amends for the things she does, but not with this woman. So it's this woman here, right? You recognize her? Okay, kind of vaguely. Yeah, and at the end of the movie, when she's putting her pitch together, she's the other one with her secretary that helps her, right? Okay. That's the woman who she's sleeping with the husband of. Now, I'll make this even better for you. There is a scene in this movie where you see where Tracy's office is. It is right next door to Jenna's office. Oh, wow. It is on the other side of the wall. So when he says something about rattling the, 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 the cabinet drawers or something like that last week, and you can see Arlene sees... Jenna punch out her mistress here. It is on the other side of the wall from his wife. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I never realized that. Yeah, and it, again, it kind of makes it weirder later on when this lady is the one who who works with her, you know? Uh, but but that's another one of the moments where she's realizing what a terrible person she's been. But again, the movie presents it in such an innocent way where it's like, she did right here. She 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 hit him in the gonads, right? In the, the gonads, gonads. In the, the gonads. The gonads, the gonads. Uh, what's, what's that James Bond le- uh, line? To the left, to the left. To the right, to the right. <laughs> to the right. Yeah, that's that's what Todd should be saying. Um, there is also a scene earlier on. Now, the reason I know that this is the woman is because at the party scene, there's a deleted scene where this woman, Tracy, says, Hey, Jenna, have you met my husband, Todd? And she introduces him here, even though they are already sleeping together. So there is a scene that reveals that this is uh, the, the the wife of her mistress or whatever. Um we we as she's putting her pitch together and everything. There's also uh, the revelation that Lucy doesn't want to work on this with Jenna. She's kind of talking behind her back. Which this is where I want to question: Is Lucy really that much of a villain? Because you basically said this lady, the, the actress Judy Greer, we're watching her in something right now. Do you know what we're watching her in? Uh, what was it? She's on the show right now. The 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 thing about Pam. She plays the prosecutor. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she plays the DA. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Um, Another interesting tidbit of you. Now, she's been in lots of things. She's a, an incredibly brilliant comic actress. Uh, she was on Arrested Development. I want to show you her gimmick on Arrested Development. Uh, so this is probably not long after 13 going on 30. Uh, she had a recurring role on Arrested Development where she played a character who had a lazy eye. And she actually would make her eye go lazy throughout the course of filming. Uh, I'm trying to find a picture of where her eyes lazy here on Arrested Development. Now uh, you can't really see it here. You can never find it when you want to. Yeah, but no, it, it's hilarious. Her, she, she's hilarious on Arrested Development. Pretty much everything is she's she's brilliant, right? But she is playing a hilarious villain in this movie. Now you said she's so good at playing such a despicable person. I said, is she really a villain? So this is what I want to discuss because she's saying like Jen has been so weird lately. Really, she has been right. Yeah, well, because now she's basically like a 13-year-old. Yeah, and I, and let's look at it from Lucy's point of view, right? Lucy's also a terrible person, right? But this movie firmly establishes that between the two of them, Jenna's definitely the worst. Jenna is the really, really bad person yeah. in, in this friendship. She's the bad person in this, this friendship. Lucy's kind of the one that goes along with her. So can we... We're going to have the scene later on where Lucy's supposed to be the arch 
Nemesis, the real villain, and I'm thinking, ah, I'm kind of sided with her in this one instance. But right here, she doesn't want to go along with Jenna, and from her perspective, she's like, Jenna's trying to act all innocent in all this. She's a terrible person, and we have just seen the fact that she's having an affair with the the husband of her neighboring coworker. Uh, just imagine if it was the person who sat next to you at work and you're sleeping with their husband. You know, I think some other coworkers of yours, if you just suddenly started acting all nice, would be like, she's faking it, you know. Um, but uh, they're basically doing separate pitches now instead. Um, there is the moment here where she goes to um, Matt's house, right? So this is where the movie starts to get more dramatic. She's realized now I've alienated people. I'm doing something bad with a married person. I am a total scumbag. I don't talk to my parents. All this stuff's adding up to her. Now, there's a brief scene in her apartment where she's just sitting there looking lonely, right? And then the next thing you know, she's knocking on Matt's door and he opens it and he has a, you're not Cajun, right? Yeah. Uh, just to call back to the other line. So there's another great deleted scene in there, which I actually kind of wish that they had kept in there. Although I think it would have made it harder to transition into a more dramatic part of the movie. When she's having that, you know that scene where she's just sitting in her apartment kind of looking lonely and you hear like some sirens in the background? What do you perceive that scene as? I don't know. Like when she goes to Matt's house, are you thinking she's lonely? Are you thinking she's scared? Um, I don't know. Okay. So the, the, the second half of that scene, you have that shot of her where the camera's panning out and she's looking all lonely and disturbed in her apartment. The second half of that scene is suddenly the lights go out. And then she knocks on Matt's door. And when he says, you're not Cajun, she says, the lights went out in my apartment. And I was scared. And Matt says, you could have picked up a phone and called me. She says, the phone stopped working too. And he said, have you been paying your bills? And she's just sort of quiet. (laughs) It's actually really funny, but she doesn't respond because that's a moment where you're like, this is a 13-year-old girl. She doesn't realize she has to pay her bills. I never realized that, actually. That's funny. Well, you wouldn't because they cut it out of the movie, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to be like, okay, I've never yeah. seen that. But but because I'd seen all these deleted scenes before, I always remembered that. And I was thinking, like, did I see a different cut of this movie? Because I swear that she goes there because her power's out. But she did in the original cut of this when they cut yeah. it. It's one of the few scenes where I'm like, it's kind of funny. Like, I like throwing that detail in there. But this is probably the big first big dramatic scene of the movie where they're just out walking and uh, she's asking, you know, what happened to us? Like, why weren't we friends anymore? And at first, he's he's being, like, the realistic guy in this movie. He's like, uh, I can't remember, right? And she goes, no, 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 tell me. And he says the backstory of, you know, when we had your 13th birthday party and you were hiding in the closet playing that game Spin the Rapist. <laughs> That's such a great line. <laughs> Uh, and then you came out and you threw, and he even says with impressive force, I might add, the dream house that I spent three weeks building for you. And then you just stopped talking to me. I never saw you again. The way he phrases that, it's like he's phrasing it like a guy who's like bitter, right? Yeah. He's like, he's, you th- he's, he's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you threw at me with impressive force, I might add, the house that I spent three weeks building for you. And then you just stopped talking to me. Um, Somebody saying, like, with impressive force and, you know, the, the thing that I spent through, that's a person who's still holding on to bitterness. But then she she just looks at him. And again, her performance is so good in this scene, too. How she's just, like, quiet and she's looking at him. I'm so sorry. And he goes, it's over. Forget it, right? Again, that's just him. He's like, I'm still bitter, but I'm willing to let it go, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then she has her big scene where she's talking about, you know, I, I'm not a good person. Uh, I've done this, I've done this, and she starts spilling the beans of all the things she's learned about herself as a 30-year-old, not realizing because she's still in her head 13. Uh, and then she sort of walks away. 
uh, we get her showing up at her parents' house. Um, Nice little callback here that you probably wouldn't realize, but uh, she goes to the parents' house, and of course, they had already revealed earlier on they were on a cruise when she had that line, you want a cruise without me? Uh, And she's hiding the closet downstairs, banging her head against the shelves, hoping that she'll wake up 13 again. The parents suddenly come home. They just hear this commotion in the basement. Now, did you notice what the dad was holding, what he armed himself with when he went to go open the door? Um... Wasn't it an umbrella? Yeah. Now, do you know where else an umbrella was used as a weapon in this movie? Uh, well, I don't know if it would be a weapon, but there was an umbrella when that naked guy was coming towards her. Right. She picked up, when she heard somebody in her apartment, she picked up the umbrella and basically saying like, you know, my parents are going to be home any minute. It's so funny that they throw that little detail in there where it's like, it's a family trait. <laughs> she yeah. gets it from her dad that you're in trouble, grab the umbrella. <laughs> Not a baseball bat, the umbrella. Yeah. But you know, it's funny though, but growing up, I honestly can't remember a time where we didn't have a baseball bat behind the door. I don't know if you guys ever did that, but we, we grew up that way. We never had it not there. Yeah, no, we didn't. Um, and I don't know why, but I, I can tell you that I, um, uh, I, at one point I slept with a knife under my bed. What? <laughs> uh, it was... Um, well, it was never that intense. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll explain the story. Now, I was a teenager at this point. And one day I opened my window and I saw that there was a slit in the screen. And it's not like a slit that formed naturally. It was like the corner was clearly cut in two sides. And it wasn't something where somebody just hit it or it was punched or something like that or it was just wear over time. It clearly looked like somebody had tried cutting the screen and then was probably like, oh, gee, I got the wrong apartment here, you know? And we weren't living in a bad area. It was just, I got really freaked out and I'm like, I don't want somebody breaking my room. So my mom told me, it's like, I was like, you know, a teenager at this point or whatever. But she's like, you know what? If you're really uncomfortable, take a knife, stick it under your bed. <laughs> and of course, that's my mom. She's like, somebody breaks in there, just stab them. <laughs> I mean, a baseball bat something you could threaten somebody with, but, like, her thinking was stab. She also taught me that trick. Just kill him. She also taught me that trick. Now, now, a couple years after that, I had my apartment broken into. I wasn't home, but I had my apartment broken into, and it really did mess me up. Like, it made me very uncomfortable to live alone, be alone. At the times in broad daylight, if I was home alone, I would feel very uncomfortable. Like, it was was rough. Uh, But uh, uh, that sort of got me just nervous in general and I remember my mom telling me if you're ever out in public and you're getting nervous that somebody's following you or something like that take your keys stuff it in between your fingers like in between your ring finger and your middle finger so if you have to punch that person you're punching them with a key I'm like my mom was sending me up to kill a man (laughs) your mom was pretty intense yeah and I'm like I'm I'm, again this isn't bragging myself but like I know how to defend myself you know I was I was trained at a very young age you know how to defend myself but like that that's the type of person my mom was she was not an umbrella woman she was like get a knife or get your keys and stab a guy (laughs) (laughs) the umbrella works too I guess but uh did you ever have any friends that that stuck the uh the baseball bat behind their door I don't know I mean I don't think they would tell you if they did Oh, well, that was like a regular thing for me. I don't know if that's a regular thing for a lot of people. Were you just living in like worst areas? No, no, not at all. I think you lived, you literally lived in the same area I did when, when, uh, I, I had that knife under my bed. Yeah, I think so. It was like the, we always kind of, at that point anyways, that I remember we're around the south point of our city and that's not a bad area. Yeah. For yeah. our city anyway. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, there's also, uh, talk about great songs in this movie. There's uh, the Billy Joel song, Vienna, that plays when she's on the train to go to her parents' house. Uh, 
I don't know if you're a Billy Joel fan at all. Do you know Billy Joel? Uh, I know of him. I, uh, I know of him. Piano Man? Yeah. Meh. Great singer. Only the Good Die Young? Eh. Oh, come on. Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire? And that one's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's your pick out of those songs? Yeah. I wouldn't be mine. Uh, not a bad song, but still, like, I will go with, you know, Only the Good Die Young or Vienna or something like that. But, uh, anyways, um, so this is where she goes to the parents' house. You see her sleeping on the couch. I mean, she goes into her room at one point, and her room's been taken over as an office and a sewing room or whatever. And there's a treadmill. There's a treadmill, yeah. Uh, and uh, in the middle of the night, she's uncomfortable with the couch. So she comes and she sleeps in her parents' bed. Again, just telling, like, this is a 13-year-old girl. Uh, I love that the dad's just sort of looking like, what, what's she doing in here? And the mom's just like, come here, dear. You know? Yeah, totally a mom. Yeah, I mean, for our kids, I mean, I can't sleep, period, with any type of movement in our bed. I mean, half the time, you'll be doing nothing more than just rolling over in your sleep. And I'm like, are you ever going to stop moving? Uh, so Every two seconds. And I'm like, geez, Colin, like, I'm a human being. I move. Well, like, if our kids ever come to sleep in our room, I'm basically like, I'm going down the couch. Like, it, it has never happened where I stay in bed when our kids come to bed. Well, maybe if we actually got one of those rich people beds where, you know, you, you always see them advertised with the, where they put, like, glasses of wine on the bed. And then they have, like, the people jumping on the bed and the wine doesn't spill over. Oh yeah, like the the yeah, like the the type of mattresses that yeah yeah, like you 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 uh, can do anything like jumping on the other side or like getting up and the other person won't feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, w- one day we'll have those when we're rich. We'll, we'll save up for ten years and buy it. Yeah, exactly. And by, by then, our kids won't want to sleep with us. We, we had a choice: we could pay our mortgage or we could get one of those fancy beds where I would be able to stay in there with our children. But instead, we're like, let's pay our mortgage this month. That's true. Good call. Yeah. Or the spare mortgage the next three months. I don't know. But, but, uh, but not the phone bill, right? Oh, not the phone bill. Who has a phone nowadays? That That's what dates this movie is 2004. Um, a couple more things to talk about. I'll let you cover anything that I might have missed here, although I know you're just going to say, nah, I think that covers it. Uh, <laughs> so when she wakes up in the morning, her mom, I love that her mom's making her the pancakes with like the smiley faces out of fruit and stuff. And the bacon. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, she's just asking your mom, like, you've ever had any regrets? And I think this is one of the smartest things about the script for this movie. It's a very, it's a very smart script for a very uh, commercial, uh, at times juvenile type movie where she's saying, do you have any regrets in life? And the mom's like, no. And then she goes, okay, so is if there, you could have one do-over in your life, what would you do differently? She goes, nothing. Any mistake I've made has basically made me who I am now. Yeah. And that really is, I don't think that's something you would normally see in a movie. Like, again, I, I feel like I'm kind of talking this movie up like it's Oscar-worthy. Maybe it should have been, I don't know. But um, It definitely is a classic, though, for sure. Well, it, it's a smart movie. Like, I think the... The producers of this movie, all and I believe some of the screenwriters too, uh, also did the movie What Women Want. And this movie has that very What Women Want feel. You know, it it, it doesn't have to be a movie in 2004. It doesn't have to be a movie just for kids. It's it's for adults too. There's smart ideas in there, even though it is just kind of like a, a gimmicky, uh, I don't know if you want to call it supernatural. Freaky Friday uh, would be kind of the more kids version of this. What Women Want would be the more adult version of this. 13 Go on 30 is sort of in the middle of Freaky Friday and What Women Want, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I love what women want. Yeah, who doesn't? Uh, but uh, she, this basically has her turn things around. You know, she starts working hard on a project or whatever. There's a lot of montages in here. And then there's the scene where she runs into Lucy in the elevator. And Lucy's like, oh, I haven't seen you in Hula Song. I tried to call you. And Jenna's like, funny, I didn't get any messages. Yeah, I was in a hurry. But um, yeah, yeah. So anyways, I'm working on this project too. And this scene, I don't think this... This is one of the few scenes in the movie I'll say... I know what they were going for, but I don't think that it really was effective as they wanted to be 
because the way the scene goes down and Lucy's like, you know, it's a sort of a last minute thing, but I'm just working on my own project. I hope you don't mind. And just like, no, that's fine. And then the elevator door, but she walks away because so am I. <laughs> you know? That's totally a 13 year old girl though. But, but I mean, it's just the whole point of the scene is like, Lucy's supposed to be like, what? You know, but like, of course she knew she was working on this. They are in the same office building and we're like, what a week away from their presentation. And is is Lucy supposed to believe that Jenna's just not doing anything? And is Jenna just believing Lucy's not doing anything? Just, I, I don't feel like that scene needed to be the whole, I am too, you know? Uh, it's it's just that one of the minor complaints I have about this movie. Anything you want to talk about on any of these scenes here that we've discussed so far? You know what? Honestly, no. Because if... <laughs> no, li- listen. Big surprise. No, listen. If, if I have something to say, I usually will jump the buck and... Or wait, is that the right phrase? No. What's what's the right phrase? What's jump the buck mean? <laughs> I didn't know what, what Jump the gun? Jump the gun. Jump the buck. <laughs> it's not that funny, but okay. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna compose myself now. Wow, that sounded really dumb. <laughs> Something a thirteen year old might have said, I guess. Just just <laughs> In the spirit of the movie, right? Just reminds me of that one time when we were talking. I don't even remember what it was. We were talking about the Hamburglar. And oh. then I just I just couldn't contain my laughter. And I was I just got out and I'm like, he's so cool. He steals stuff. That was our Wonder Woman review. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, if I have something to say, I jump the gun. <laughs> And even if it's not time to discuss the scene, I discuss it. Okay. We're basically going to cover from this point to the end of the movie now. Um, She hires Matt. Uh, Now, another little bit of trivia here. The scene where they're out in the park and he comes to meet her. I love that scene. When he comes to meet her and she's offering him the job, you mean? Oh, no. No, that's not what I was talking about. You're, you think about the montage that's coming. but No, no, no. Or you think about the swings? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's coming later on. But anyways, this movie. My memory's awful. This movie takes place, at this point, we're probably mid to late May uh, in New York. Uh, I don't know what the weather's supposed to be like there at that point, but, like, they filmed this. Is there weather, like, just kind of like ours, but more mild? I I think New York's similar to Winnipeg. I mean, I I don't know if their winters are as cold as ours, but, I mean, their summers are probably similar. I mean, they're Fahrenheit, so, I mean... don't they have the ocean right there? Yeah, I mean, it might feel a bit cool, but, again, you're in the city. It's like, like, that's the thing with Winnipeg. Winnipeg is... Uh, I believe the city, even over Moscow, like of every city in the world, every major city over a certain population, Winnipeg has the greatest difference between our highest uh, high in the summer and our lowest low in the winter. Celsius, you're looking at a 60 to 80 degree difference from our winters to our summers. Uh, The summers in Winnipeg are like stinking hot, like, like, gross hot and super humid yeah well it's very humid here but then the other part is i mean it's just the way the city is it's just all concrete you know um it's glass and stuff like that big buildings so everything in the city retains heat more so i don't know how new york is in the summer but when they filmed this it was much later in the summer and they were like in a heat wave so Mm -hmm. i don't know what it would be fahrenheit for anybody who's not Canadian or for anybody who's American, everybody else would know Celsius, but you know, it was basically like 37 to 40 degrees the day they filmed this. And when you look in the air, you can see it like 
living in Winnipeg and knowing how hot it gets here. You see, like, the waviness. Well, you also see that haze. That's what I mean. You can see it even when you're driving on the highway. It looks like fog in the air, but it's not fog. It's just just the the sun hitting. Isn't that what people call, like, a mirage or something? Isn't that what it's called? Well, this is something different, but... But yeah, you, but you, you just you know what I'm saying. You can tell by looking in the air, it's like it is hot. So when I see those scenes, it, yeah. I'm like, wow, it is so hot. And that's basically what it was when they filmed this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just like ridiculously hot when they. Filmed. But she hires him. He initially looks at it, the amount of money she's offering, and says, "Oh, I can't do this," and even says, "Your magazine isn't my style." I think this is something that was missed. Uh, the original idea they had that Matt showed up at the party, the thriller sequence, because he was hoping to get a job. Um, he says, "Not your style," and she says, "Well, that's what I'm looking for." Now we basically have this long montage of uh, them shooting her pitch, all the pictures for it, which is based on her yearbook. And the song that plays here, Why Can't I by Liz Fair. I mean, you know the song, right? Sure. I, I mean, I play it for you uh, often. It's often on the radio, and I always say, you know what the song's from, 1330, you always forget. But, like, the singer, it's funny because the singer Liz Fair, she was, like, you know, a more raunchy grunge singer in the 90s. And that album that had that song, Why Can't I, was like the only time she really had ever done anything pop at that point. And it alienated a lot of her fans, but yet it's arguably still the most famous song she's ever had. Uh, but this whole sequence here of them, um, you know, shooting the, the the pictures for this, all the photo shoots, recreating the yearbook pictures, uh, again, just great chemistry between Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo. There's the sequence where they're shooting like the, the winter dance or whatever with the fake snow and they, they start dancing, you know. Uh, this movie never goes so far as to make it look like he's cheating on his fiance, though. I think that's what works about this movie. Yeah. It, it, it still just looks like they're 13-year-olds who are best friends, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, you can definitely see that there's some type of connection there, but there's there's nothing where it crosses the line. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can tell, obviously, I don't know, I think this is a better way to explain it. You can tell that he has always loved her and mm-hmm. that he always will, but he is also loyal to his fiance. That's why does, this... Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's why this movie works because every... romantic comedy that has ever existed has tried to put that dilemma in there where it's like oh will this couple get together and they always just use oh but they're already with somebody you know and the few movies that work like what women want being a perfect example neither of these two are committed the movie works because they're not committed it's not your typical oh like even sleepless in seattle i mean um that's considered one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time and yet that movie still has that weird thing of oh she's with somebody else and then he's kind of with somebody else and it works in that movie they handle it well the way that this movie handles it you've got mail being another one i was just gonna say you've got mail yeah it it doesn't make it disrespectful they kind of wait till those partners are out of the picture but this movie almost had it harder because his partner his fiance is never out of the picture this i would guess is probably a lot mark ruffalo being like i don't want this guy to be a sleazebag i, I don't want him well, and, and the fiance, fiance like the girl she's super sweet like mm-hmm. you you would never be like well, oh, well, oh well he should leave her well we'll get to that in a second though because i think that it could have been even better but uh you know there's let's be honest matt is the hero of this movie jen is not the hero of this movie she if anything she's the villain until the, she is darth vader and matt is luke skywalker you know yeah, I guess that makes sense. Even as a child, she's she's the bad one. She's the one who makes the mistake that leads to this whole movie. Um, but uh, yeah, they they never make this the point where it's like, oh, he's cheating on his fiance or whatever. Uh, but the, they do have the one scene coming up, which again, it, the way they handle it just kind of works. 
so this is where they're going over all the pictures in his studio and um you have that other scene where it kind of looks like they're, ooh, they may have sex. Uh, but instead, she's just sort of innocently asked about Razzles. Now, this is a candy. I didn't, I only know of Razzles because of the movie 13 Go to 30. I don't think I ever ate these. I don't think I ever knew they existed until this movie. And it was only like years afterwards where uh, I think we saw them in a store somewhere. I'm like, oh, that was a real thing because like, I thought it was fake. But you said that you ate these growing up? Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea they existed. What, what, so what is it like? Is it like a fruity thing? I mean, I'm guessing it's like, uh, they say, what is it like? What is the line? Like, it's it's both a gum and something? Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a hard circle candy, and there's different colors that you can get. Usually, like, I think it was, I think it was blue or red. Um, but you chew it, and it slowly becomes a gum in your mouth. Okay, like, but I don't know anything about this. But I mean, during this scene here where they go out and they get the rattles, because even like, oh, I haven't, you know, uh, thought about those in like you know twenty years or whatever. Uh, and um, when when she's chewing them again, she has just sort of that innocent thirteen year old girl thing where she says, "Let me see your tongue," and he's like, "I'm not going to show you my tongue." Uh, it's like, what what color is your tongue? And then she shows him hers. And uh, hers is red. And then uh, I love Mark Ruffalo. I really hope this is an improv line because it just feels like it. Where she says, come on, I showed you mine. He goes, I didn't ask to see yours. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. But this is just, again, like the playfulness of a 13-year-old girl or whatever. They have the, the scene with the swing sets. Now, this is the one scene that might get a little bit questionable because they're throwing themselves off the swing sets. They basically make this bet like, okay, if our pitch is picked, then, you know, or whoever gets further on this then has to treat after our pitch is picked – has to treat the winner to this and this and this dinner, and then she throws an orange Julius because they have to make it clear this is clearly a girl living in the past. Because who drinks orange Julius? Dinner? I like orange Julius, but I mean it's it's, it's definitely not a thing anymore, you know. Um, but uh, then when uh, they land on the ground, they're actually you, you notice what their pose is recreating. No, you remember when she's watching the movie from Here to Eternity earlier that that famous scene on the beach oh yeah 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 Yeah, they're basically doing the same thing here and this is where they do kiss which is the one part where you're like ooh, he's actually kind of cheating on his girlfriend now but the scenes that follow kind of make this a little bit easier to take i do love her scene right after that though where they could have had her say anything they could have had him say anything and instead she just says hey you got hair on your arms <laughs> yeah it was it was basically just you know, it's not really awkward or we're thinking about this. It just happened. Yeah. Well, it's also, she's a 13 year old girl. She's like, Hey, you got hair on your arms, but guaranteed when this movie ends and she goes back to her own reality that he definitely gets to second base <laughs> that, that day. Maybe not enough. I, I don't know what second base is. I like, what is second base? Have we gotten there yet? <laughs> Colin, look it up after the show. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I love that hair on her arm thing. Uh, so this scene kind of ends, and again, he he doesn't really say anything. So there's without them actually make it clear, you see there's kind of like this conflicted thing with him. This is the the slumber party scene. This is where she's talking, and now you realize you don't know who she's talking to. And then they reveal it's not just her friend in the building, the the girl, but it's a whole bunch of young girls, and they're having a slumber party. Uh, and they're all talking about, oh, I wish that would happen to me or whatever. And she gives their pep, her love is a battlefield pep talk, which leads to the dance sequence of them lip-syncing and dancing to the Love is a Battlefield music video. Now, your opinion on this sequence? I, I love it. See, and I was going to say, I mean, I'm definitely come around more on it now, but I can remember watching this movie, and even at this point on the first video, I'm like, I didn't expect this movie to be this good. Like, this movie is incredible. That sequence came up, and I'm like, what is it about this scene that just doesn't sit right with me? And for years afterwards, I'd always watch it, and even still to this day, when I watch the scene, I always sort of debate in my head, I'm like, 
do they really need this scene? Like, something about it just feels like you went from... It's the same reason why they, they cut the line about, oh, the power went out my apartment. Well, you could have called me. Well, the phone's out too. Did you pay your bill? Because it's like, oh, did you need a joke there when you're about to get dramatic? Right here, we're in the middle of the most dramatic part of the movie, and you're following the most dramatic scene of the movie, and you're about to get to an even more dramatic scene, and you have this dance sequence of Love is a Battlefield. Like, I still don't necessarily... I don't think it's bad like I once did, but I, I still don't feel like this scene needs to be in the movie, you know? Well, not everybody overanalyzes everything like you do, honey. No, but here's the thing. <laughs> I, I thought that this was just me, and then I re-listened to Gary Winnick's commentary, and he said that this was basically forced on him by the studio. He's like, against uh, 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 over my dead body, will this scene be in the movie? Like, this scene will not work. And they basically told him, like, listen, you got to put... The-. They basically convinced him, like, shoot the scene, do it your way, do another version... And then we'll see what works better. Now, the other version was what I was talking about. When we had that scene earlier on where, where she was talking about he didn't want to play games at all. She was originally on the phone with Lucy. That was because this scene with the girl here was actually just a scene with her and her neighbor just talking, you know, over breakfast. And she was saying like, oh, and this happened with Matt. And the girl's like, oh, you know, it, it, it's not easy being a 13-year-old girl. I wish that would happen to me. The exact same scene without the slumber party guests and without Love as a Battlefield existed as the next scene without the jokes in there. Now that scene, eventually they shot that and shot the Love is a Battlefield because Gary Winnick was like, I'm going to shoot what I think the best scene should be and then we'll do the Love is a Battlefield and we'll see what works better. He eventually conceded the Love is a Battlefield scene works better. I do agree it works better than the other scene, but I still don't think that you needed that at this point in the movie. That's just sort of my opinion. I liked it. I don't know. I I like all those uh, teenage girls though. They're just so cute. Again, maybe as a teenage girl, you kind of get the scene a little bit more. I mean, if they had a scene with Matt sitting there, I don't know, what would guys be doing after this? They wouldn't be doing anything at all. Like, that's the the, the biggest misconception people have about guys is, like, all they do is think about... They might think about sex sex a lot. I, I don't. I don't. I mean, hey, that's I'm me. So, I'm so proud of you. You just said it without actually whispering. Well, then I stumbled and whispered it. But anyways, uh, most guys, I would say 90% of guys, will not talk about anything. <laughs> nothing personal. I think women are much more dirty. And oh, they definitely are. And we're not secretive about it. They definitely are. And again, it's not just the people I surround. I've been surrounded by... And I you, think it gets worse for women as we age. You know some of the people I've been around. I, I Think about a, a certain co-worker that we had who was definitely... <laughs> had no problems talking about things like this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, his name starts with an R. Uh, we worked with him, right? Mm-hmm. You once said he, oh, a lot of people said he looked like a certain uh, Asian okay, movie okay, star. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but uh, he definitely was a filthy person. <laughs> he would definitely torment people. He would tease people. But it took, I think, two and a half years of knowing this guy before I ever had a personal conversation about anything like this or anything about himself, you know? And when he did, it was sort of like, wow, I didn't expect that from him, you know? This isn't just something something the guys don't do. But anyways, um, I'm not that big of a fan of it. Now, this is the important thing I was going to talk about, how the, the fiancé... Uh, what's the fiancé's name? Do you remember? Um, no. All right. Uh, let's call her Deja Thoris, okay? Because that's <laughs> what we know her from. So his fiancé, Deja Thoris... Um, she uh she comes when he's uh in his studio. Now, he basically has already set this is when the dinner is going to be. He's going out with Jenna, right? Mm. And he has written down her name and the time, 8 o'clock, and Jenna on May 27th. That's her birthday. So he's marked on his calendar her birthday is the day that they're going to go have dinner, right? As friends or whatever. 
Uh, now, deleted scenes that would completely change this. Deleted scenes that would have made him look worse. And deleted scenes that would have made his fiance look better. Uh, this scene where she comes up as he's on the phone... And she covers his eyes and goes, hey, and then he almost looks surprised when he realizes, oh, it's her, it's not Jenna, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this scene, you know how she has a joke afterwards when they're out eating and they're talking about, we really need to discuss, like, are you going to move to Chicago with me? Because that's sort of the thing is that she's gotten a job in Chicago and they're supposed to get married. And he is like, oh, I don't know. Uh, she makes a joke there where she says, do you remember what she says to him? You could take pictures of vitamin uh, water bottles anywhere. Vitamin bottles anywhere. Now, how do you perceive her? Again, I'm looking at the way that these characters are presented. How do you perceive her in that scene? What is she saying? Like, what type of character is she saying that? I mean, with that, I can see she's trying to be logical, but it almost sounds like, uh, you know, you don't do anything impressive. You could do it anywhere. Right? All right. Now, I'm going to blow your mind here, okay? Two things happen in the scene where she comes up and she puts her hands over his eyes. One, the version that exists now cuts away, but when he writes out Jenna's name, he draws a heart around it. And they cut that out of the movie. Now, him drawing a heart around it instantly makes you go like, ooh, this guy, he's got a fiancé, right? Yeah. Now, the second part of it, and I agree with you, I always looked at this scene as... You know, her saying, you can take pictures of the vitamin balls, it's like downplaying his work, right? Like, yeah. oh, he's a successful photographer. Do you know that phone call he's on where he says, okay, he's just making an appointment, right? Do you know the first part of that is cut from the movie as well? Do you know why I know what he says on that phone call? Mm. All right, so I'm finishing up the vitamin bottle pictures right now, and I'll get those to you later this week. Literally, in that scene, he is talking to a client where he has taken pictures of vitamin bottles. But by cutting that line, it makes you look at the fiancé as somebody that you sympathize with a little bit less. Not a lot less, but a little bit less. And by cutting the heart around Jenna's name, it makes you sympathize with him a little bit more. So when I was saying, like, yes, he kissed Jenna, but he doesn't say anything. He kind of looks conflicted. And then this scene follows that it could have been done so much worse. The reason you still sympathize with him is because he's not drawing a heart around his name or her name, even though that existed in the original cut of the movie. And she's saying something that almost sounds loosely condescending to him, even though... He's literally in the middle of a job where he's taking pictures of vitamins. Isn't it kind of weird, though, honestly, that they get married just a short time after that? Like, I don't even know how long that would be if it would be a couple days or maybe like a week or two. Like, it wasn't that long. They actually got married. Mm -hmm. And yet they were apparently still not sure if he would actually move with her. So, Well, because they they do say that kind of in the earlier scene where they talk about how, oh, yeah, we're we're getting married or whatever. uh, And then... She says, he's, she's, Jenna says, you're moving to Chicago. And he says, well, that's still up in the air. I think they're getting married. She's gotten a job and they're like, we're going to get married anyways. We'll work it out. Like they'll kind of be married long distance at first. Um, I, that's the way I kind of figure that it's supposed to be. I guess so. I mean, gosh, I could never do that. But can you imagine how, I just want you to wrap your head around how differently you would look at all of these characters if you knew that the fiance was not saying something even subtly condescending that literally she walked in as he was talking about, oh yeah, I'm going to finish up those vitamin bottle pictures soon. And then if he was drawing a heart around the picture, you would look at him very differently, you know? Okay, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, if you have more information, you can judge a situation better. But, you know, the thing that 
I always take away with these type of movies, like even You Got Mail and stuff like that, where there is the other people in them. I know it's it's handled differently. Like sometimes they leave the person first before they move on. Sometimes they don't. But, you know, you you do have to look at it this way. Yes, it, it can hurt the other person and the person leaving them. But should a person settle when they know that they actually won't be fully happy and well, fully committed to that one person? Well, we'll we'll get there a little bit later, okay? Because that's kind of what the whole point of this movie is about. But, uh, but I, I'm not saying that this... I'm saying this is the right version. Cutting those two very brief moments from that scene is the right decision. That makes this a better movie. I like it better. I find it incredibly fascinating that there was a version of this movie that could have existed, at least it existed on paper and even existed in the original cut of the movie, that this was a more typical romantic comedy where you would be walking away, at least the same person would be walking away seeming like, this guy's kind of a scumbag. And and you'd also be walking and be like, I, I sympathize. All these other romantic comedies that we watch, that you make me watch and stuff like that, my complaints are always like, this fiance or whatever, even these Hallmark movies, you're always like this fiance who's supposed but to be the, the villain. Hallmark movies are the worst for that. Yeah, but you're all because you always end up walking away where they have like they're actually engaged to somebody else and they try to present the person they're engaged to as being a villain. You're like, no, there's not really much wrong with that fiance. Them cheating on this and just dumping a person for superficial reasons, that's wrong. But this movie, by a small correction, made it okay, you know? Sure. Sure. Okay. You agree? Good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, so now getting into wrapping up the movie, uh, Jenna's about to do her pitch. Um, there's uh, ha- Has the scene come up yet where... Oh, no, it hasn't come up yet. Okay. So she's about to do her pitch, and um, she's not ready yet. She's still trying to get the pictures from the printers or whatever. And Richard, uh, Andy Circus here, is coming up saying, Okay, I need to see this because corporate needs a decision on this. I need to see this now. And he says, I'm not trying, he says something like, my balls are in an iron vice right now. And then Jenna says, how long until your balls are completely squished? He goes, hopefully never. I'm actually rather attached to my balls. <laughs> uh, and then this is where she's like, okay, we're going to go get it now. Just just hold off until five o'clock. And then she calls Arlene. Arlene, you come. And Arlene's looking really happy because I'll be like, oh, I'm actually part of the team now. And I love Andy Circus there. So, oh, you're invited as well. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's like totally snubbed. It was great. Um, her pitch here, the, the redesign of the magazine, uh, it's, I mean, it is what it is. She's basically just presenting, you know, it's a big, you know, powerful speech, I guess, for a movie like this, uh, talking about, you know, we want real people. We don't want fake people. You also see Lucy's pitch, which is the fashion suicide pitch, which is scary. Now, again, I'm going to say, is it... Is it the right direction for a magazine like this? No, but are, is there a market out there for a goth fashion magazine? Yes! I'd read it. Even if you're not a goth person, you'd probably be curious about it. But it, it's, again, to present Lucy as a villain because she does it. And everybody's looking at it like, what? Like, if you were to have it where it's like, I get where you're going with that, just not for this magazine. That's too drastic, right? But the fact that they kind of present the scene is like, well, that's just wrong. I'm sure there is a big audience out there. You're basically saying we're no longer competing with Sparkle. We have found our own audience, you know? Uh, Again, I'm not saying it's the better one, but Jenna's pitch is like, let's get real people in these magazines. Let's get people who just look like your friends, you know, look like your your parents, your neighbors, stuff like that. Everybody just erupts in applause. I mean, it's a cheesy moment, but it's effective. And this is where he has the whole, is he gay? And Colin realized Andy Serkis is supposed to be gay in this movie. Um, 
Matt comes in. Uh, Jenna actually leaves. Uh, you you have her looking all happy leaving, and Matt comes in. Uh, the scenes were originally arranged differently. Matt was supposed to come in. Uh, after, he was supposed to be, be there. Lucy's talking to him as Jenna's making her pitch. Uh, but uh, instead, you actually see it where he is coming after Jenna's left, and Lucy kind of pulls one over on him and basically says, oh, you know, sorry, but uh, Jenna's decided to go in a different direction. She's going to use her, her her boyfriend's photographer or whatever. And Lucy kind of smooth talks him a little bit. Now, he looks like he doesn't want to have anything to do with her. But she says, would you sign a release? Maybe we'll use your pictures in a catalog. And again, this is why I like that little detail where it's like, he's still a professional. He's not like, no, I don't want pictures in a catalog. He's like, yeah, whatever. Cut me a check. I'll do it. I'll, I'll take your money, right? So she's basically gotten the rights to this, but she's rifling through Jenna's desk and she finds the sparkle letters there. Now, again, this movie is very smart. It doesn't reveal anything until Jenna comes back, or or, sorry, I think it's the next morning. Uh, So now I'm going to talk about another deleted scene, which again completely changes the movie, okay? Jenna shows up at Matt's apartment. You have a shot of her walking all happy through the rain, right? Yeah, I remember. Now, that was a reshoot because the original scene was Jenna is sitting at the restaurant that they're supposed to get. This is her birthday now. And she's sitting at that restaurant waiting and waiting and Matt never shows up. So when she shows up at Matt's apartment and his fiance answers the door wearing just her nightgown or whatever or his shirt. And she's she's getting her name wrong. It's like, oh, yeah, he's going to get his tux or whatever. And she just sort of like not brushes her off it's like oh like she's being very pleasant but she's like i'll tell him you stop by right because that's what her fiance would do fiance's not thinking yeah he's gonna be cheating on me with this girl uh but jenna showed up there because matt stood her up now they cut that out of the movie because again why you would look at matt a little bit differently you would look at him as in like oh he's buying lucy's story it gets to be more typical right mm-hmm. it goes against later in the movie where jenna's basically saying to matt listen whatever lucy told you it was a lie and matt basically says yeah, I knew it was a lie. <laughs> like, I don't believe I've, I haven't believed a single thing she said to me since the third grade, right? Yeah, I like that better. But him standing her up, I think, makes this a more typical movie. So I like that instead they reshot it where it's like, no, she just shows up and he just happens to not be there, right? Uh, when she has the pitch the next morning, this is where uh, Richard comes in and he reveals, you know, sorry, they're shutting it down. Uh, it, it, it's done. We're not going with your pitch. And Lucy has taken your designs and sparkle now has it right uh now this is a little bit far-fetched if sparkle magazine was getting like a million people if they're getting twice as many people uh buying their magazine as uh this what are these called again poise Poise has why would they just overnight be like redesigned to something that's unproven that it seems like kind of an a weird wacky idea sure let's do it yeah exactly like that is very far-fetched but it's selling the point that lucy is leaving and that she's their new editor you know you have to have a reason why they would pick her so now lucy has left the company she's taken matt's designs she's the bad guy right and but this is where i ask the question is she the bad guy jenna did some this is where it's finally revealed some of the audience had no idea up to this point Jenna has been the one feeding information. The, the, the mole that was in the company that kept feeding Sparkle the information was Jenna. Jenna had struck a deal, and Lucy reveals this letter from the uh, the editor, Trish, that we saw earlier, the, the, the sloppy, uh, rude, sloppy woman or whatever. Uh, and Jenna was basically sabotaging her own magazine. Lucy found this out and was basically like, how dare you, Jenna? Let me go to them, and I will get this job. I'm not going to let Jenna sink this magazine and another one. 
let's be honest. If Sparkle redesigns overnight, Poise is in a good spot. You know, most people are still going to want to buy the Jennifer Lopez issue over the 17-year-old random girl, you know, as a cheerleader issue. So I don't really feel like anybody loses here. And, and again, the scene where Richard's revealing this was uh, a lot longer, where he was basically saying more like, it's fine. I think this is good. Uh, I'm out of the job. You're out of the job. He pitches to Jenna, let's go start our own magazine. I'm miserable working here anyways. That makes this scene feel less dramatic and it makes it less of a, oh, Lucy's the villain moment. So again, they're taking good stuff in this movie and cutting it because it tells the story better. Um, and I love that, that this movie took a good scene and chopped it down for the sake of the movie. Uh, but of course, the way that we get in this movie is that Lucy's the bad guy. Um, Jenna now thinks, oh, everything's over. Matt hates me. Uh, and uh, she goes uh, now outside and she hails the cab. She's going to go stop the wedding. So now you think you're getting your typical rom-com moment where the wedding is halted. No, you can't marry him. I love this man. He's like saying to his fiance. It's like, I, I really want to be with her. That doesn't happen at all. I mean, first of all, the great thing in here, one of the best jokes in the movie that got one of the biggest laughs is where she gets in the cab and suddenly the guy recognizes her, Jenna. And then you, you see he introduces her, Chris Grandy and you see the guy, the big heartthrob guy from her high school or whatever is now this over-the-hill sloppy cab driver and he still thinks he could get her number and is trying to pick her up. The, the Rick Springsteen comes on the radio. Yeah, that he's like fat and bald. Yeah, and he's like, oh, Rick Springsteen. And she's correcting him. And he's even saying, I thought you wanted my number. Like, I thought you wanted my number. She runs to Matt's house. Uh, the wedding's starting. There's florists outside. She basically sneaks her way in there. I like that she walks past her own parents, uh, who are just casual guests at this wedding, basically chit-chatting. Uh, she goes upstairs to Matt's room. And again, something something that you know changed in this movie now. This is the scene that Mark Ruffalo pitched when he was hesitant about whether or not he wanted to do a rom-com. Mark Ruffalo pitched how this scene should go down. Not the exact dialogue, but he's like, basically, this should not be a scene of sadness. Like, no, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to go with my fiance. I mean, that would be like the Wayne's World ending where uh, what's-her-name says, I'm in love with Rob Lowe, and then everything Cassandra. goes wrong. Yeah, Cassandra's, I'm in love with Rob Lowe, and then Wayne's, like, you know, uh, all beaten and defeated, and then they said, no, no let's do the happy ending. Like, Mark Ruffalo pitched, like, no, this scene needs to make sense, and this is what you were saying about should you settle for somebody. So she's basically saying, Lucy, you know, lied to you, and he says, don't worry, I didn't believe her anyways. And then she's she's basically saying, like, you know, I, I, I want you to be with me or whatever, and he has such an incredible dramatic moment. Like, this one moment is what sold me on Mark Ruffalo as an actor more than anything I'd seen him in before this. Where he's talking about, you know, you know he's he's happy with her, with Jenna and everything. And he's like, I, I, uh, uh, I what did he say? Something about, you know, I'm feeling things I haven't felt in a long time. Yeah. But then he says... He was saying that he's felt things that he didn't know he could feel anymore. Yeah, exactly. So then you're thinking like, is he actually settling? But yeah. he, but he's going to do it because he made a promise. But he, well, it's not just because he made a promise, Lola, because the way he explains it in the scene is he's saying like, you know, you don't always get the dream house, but you get really close. And he's saying like, people change, times change. I chose Wendy. That's her name. Wendy. Says I chose Wendy. And he's saying, I'm happy with her. To me, I kind of see the scene more as, he can't necessarily get over that bitterness with her, you know, yeah. no matter what he, he has, he's always like, what's done is done. And this kind of ties into what Jenna's mom was saying. Like, you know, whatever mistakes you made, it got you where you are. That's what Mark, that, that scene is actually more about Mark Ruffalo than it's about Jennifer Garner. 
because the things that happened led him to Wendy and you know he's like hey you could call it settling but I'm happy I chose her she's a good woman uh, you're a good woman I'm a good man <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of this happy scene for him he's basically saying like I'm I feel so bad I'm so sorry she even starts crying and he says don't cry and she says I, I love the she breasts off like I'm I'm just crying cuz I'm so happy for you or whatever now then he brings out the dream house now the original version of this scene which I have not seen but they actually talk about on the DVD that um Jenna asked him can I have the house do you still have it can I have it and then he got it from the closet and gave it to her and they did test screenings and just like I said how the studio had suggestions and even a filmmaker would be like, you know, sometimes the studio is actually right. Uh, this was something where they did test screenings and the audience who loved the movie said, I didn't like that she asked for the dream house. I think that he should have just given it to her. Yeah, that's that's what I would think. Yeah, and, but yet they shot it as her asking and they screened it for audiences. Like we're talking a month or two before this movie came out and audiences said, I don't like that. I love this movie, but the one thing I don't like is her asking. So they said, fine, we'll cut it from the movie. And it plays so much better because it's like she's they're basically both saying like this isn't going to work I'm, I'm i'm really disappointed he's even saying i'm disappointed this isn't going to work she's crying because she's upset but saying don't worry i'm happy for she doesn't want him to feel bad on his wedding day he doesn't want her to feel bad so he gives her the dream house now do you know what the most realistic thing about this entire movie is a movie about a 13 year old girl working waking up she's 30 years old what when she goes outside with his dream house uh, he even says to her, I've always loved you here, right? But And they just walk away like that. Like, that is a perfect ending to this story. Yeah. But when she goes outside and she's sad and the wind catches the dollhouse and the glitter, the, the magic dust or whatever, is in the air and it sprinkles on her and she wakes up 13 years old again. Most realistic part of this movie is 17 years later, you still can't get rid of glitter. Yeah, yeah, accurate. Glitter is forever. <laughs> yeah. That's the reason why I have I have I do have it in my house, but it's put away very high in bins. And whenever it comes out of that bin, we're gonna be seeing it for seventeen years. Oh, uh, that's okay. <laughs> but that's the most realistic part of this movie. But I'm sure people have the same problem with dog hair. We don't have a dog yet, though. Yeah, we just have glitter and children. We, we just have children, but they're pretty much animals. Yeah, children are animals. <laughs> uh, but uh, she wakes up 13, and now she's literally where she left. Matt's out playing his song saying, "Don't, Jenna, just, just come on, give me a chance. Uh, now she comes out, she's happy. She basically tackles him and kisses him, and he has the line, Whoa, you really know what you're doing. <laughs> I told you he's getting to second base tonight. I'm going to have to Google what second base is. Uh this basically wraps up the movie. You have a moment where she uh, tells off Lucy here, our young Lucy, Tom, Tom or whatever. And then uh, they go out the door. He says, where are we going? You'll see. And they walk out the door and it's their wedding day. Perfect ending. Perfect ending. But the ending again, very different. The original ending of this movie was they walk up the stairs. He says, where are we going? And she says, you'll see. And remember I said that the original sequence with before they reshot it with different kids, the original two kids they cast, there was that bouncy castle in the front yard. The original ending of this movie was she says as their kids walk up the stairs, where are we going? And you'll see the next shot is Jennifer Garner and Mark Ruffalo walking out of the house, going into the bouncy castle and jumping up and down in the bouncy castle in a tuxedo and a wedding dress, freeze frame. Yeah. I wish people could see the look on your face. You're like, that is terrible. Because it was a terrible ending. So this reshot version where they come out, and again, this is something, the studio's suggestion. They wanted to just end the movie even here where they walk out and it's their wedding day and people are taking pictures. You're like, oh, they live happily ever after. Because yeah, the thing, here's the, here's the problem with that, okay? Here's the thing. I see 
the vibe of it. Of what the 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 bouncy castle? Yes, because I I see the the thought process behind that. They're but, children, right? But when she comes back to her original reality, she still grows up, and so does he. Yeah, exactly. So, so she's not thirteen anymore. I mean, you could say, oh well, this way because they never had that that bad falling out. They're always children at heart, you know. It's still a terrible ending, and it looked it, awful. It's, it's cheesy. It looked awful, but this ending where they come out and they're married. I love it. Gary Winnick still wanted to end it there. And the studio said, no, we want more. Don't just end it there. We want to see them living happily ever after. We don't want to just see they had a wedding. Uh, we want to see them moving into their house. We want to see that the house is like the dream house because you see that their house they live in is yeah. pink like the dream house he built. We want to see them unpacking their furniture. And the movie ends with that shot of them on the couch eating the razzles, which I think the razzles it still illustrates the same thing that that bouncy castle would have. But it's better. It's a little bit more mature. Yeah. And you get that iconic shot of them on the couch together, you know? Yeah. Uh, honestly, it could, it could have ended just with, like, the wedding day. And I, I would have felt fine with that. But I do like the extra. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great end of this movie. I mean, everything about this movie is fantastic except for a couple of minor things there. But uh, we'll, we'll kind of get to our opinions in a second. But uh, that's 13 going on 30. Uh, I do wonder, though, like... It, it only took us three times as long as the movie is to do the recording. <laughs> Well, about twice as long. Uh, but uh, not even twice as long. We're doing pretty good. This isn't nearly as long as Titanic. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, but uh, uh, Now there's a bad movie. I, 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 thank you. Uh, I agree. But uh, I do question. They're not showing them looking younger than they are 30 here. Like, did they wait till they were 30 years old to get married still? I mean, I, I guess. But I think they should have made them look a little bit younger. But again, it's just it's just an ending, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, but anyways, I, I think I think just the way that your mind accepts it though is that you you don't think about that and you just accept it that they end up together because they looked this way in her alternate reality. Yeah, I, I don't think that you really think that deeply about. It. I think that you do because you're you. Well, I'm also looking at a lot at, from the filmmaking point of view because I saw how differently this movie could be. You know, most people don't think about that, Colin. Uh, so critically, this movie actually did pretty well. Like you think this is kind of a forgotten movie. Uh, it got 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, uh, one review here says, although the plot leaves a lot to be desired, 13 Gone 30 will tug at your inner teenager's heartstrings thanks in large part to the dazzling performance from Jennifer Garner. Um, uh, another review here says, 13 Gone 30 is the rare commercial comedy that leaves you entranced by what can happen only in the movies. Uh, one here talking about Jennifer Garner. She cuts out all traces of adult consciousness of irony and flirtation and manipulation, reducing herself to a keen, Google-eyed earnest, Google-eyed earnestness that's utterly beguiling. Uh, now we always like to look at some idiots, uh, some stupid idiots, uh, who gave this movie one star. So uh, we're going to look at that in a second. Uh, once I can actually get it open again here. Uh, but uh, yeah, 65% Rotten Tomatoes, very solid. And uh, you look very bored right now. Like you just want this episode to be over? No. <laughs> As people can hear you on your phone. <laughs> I'm trying to look this up so you you can see something before the episode is actually over. What am I trying to see? What are you showing me? Second base. That is literally showing second base, Jamie. Uh, going to first base uh, implies kissing. We'll go into second base. There's intimate physical touching above the waist. So you're basically saying he fondled her. Her boobies. No, he fondled her tissues. Her boobies. She had none. So he fondled her tissues that oh, night. Oh, she still had. She still had like little tiny peaks. 
Is that the the the, the proper word? Peaks. Well, they they might be just like you know, basically like bug bites, but <laughs> but they're there. I'm learning so many new words today. Uh... <laughs> you know, okay, but let's let's put it this way: there is one celebrity that you go crazy for. And she probably has, like, the smallest boobs I've ever seen. But I bet that you probably, if you were single, you would not mind fondling those. All right, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss later, okay? Uh, they're going to say Jennifer Garner. I'm like, no, they're not that small. I mean, she's got those incredible build boobs to fill them out, you know? No, she has decent ones. I know, but anyway. Uh, anyway, so uh, I'm not going to read this whole thing here, but a one-star review says, What kind of idiot girl wants to be 30 years old? Uh, 13 on 30 is a decent movie, but the 13-year-old girl in this movie must be mental to want to be a 30-year-old so badly. Um, uh, I don't remember any kid wishing they were 30. Uh, every kid wanted to be 16. I think a lot of people actually want to be grown up when they're young. That's, that's pretty common. It's, it's also, like, it's taking... you want to have the freedoms, and you want to be able to make your own decisions, and do what you want, like, and have, you know, the driving, and the living by yourself, like... This person who's doing the review is stupid. Every well, person yeah, that. this is also a 2004 review. Like people view the world very differently now, 18 years later, because they actually say here, 20 year olds don't want to be 30, and they still believe the 30 is just a made up story that's so far away they'll probably never happen anyways. 25 year olds dread about the reality of being 30. What world does this person live in? I mean, again, they oh wrote this gosh. 18 years ago, but they're like, 30 is the end of your life. Because there's so much of a difference between 25 to 30. I mean, nobody cares. About, maybe in 2004, people and were like, you know, well, 30. Honestly, one of the worst things about being an adult is actually responsibilities and bills. But kids don't think about that. Kids don't think about the reality of that. Well, I, I'm just they saying, just like, think about the good things, the freedoms, and whatever else. I, I just think it's such a dated idea that like 30 is the end of your life. Um, like, oh gosh. it doesn't matter if you're man or woman. Nobody cares about 30 anymore, you know. Uh, but anyways, it, this review is basically turning again. 33 this month. So I guess I got one foot in the grave. You're turning 33 the very day Jennifer Garner turns 50. Now, if 30 is to be dreaded, Jennifer Garner, track this person down and teach them a lesson. <laughs> okay, I don't know what's funny about that. <laughs> Anyways, the whole idea of like 30 is like so ancient is just stupid. Uh, but uh, definitely now, maybe less than it was in 2004. So benefit up. But this person's entire objection is just that. I think that's taking it too literally too. This isn't like she sits there fantasizing every single night I want to be 30. She looked at one. She wants to be a grown up in that scene. She just wants to be older, you know, and she's looking at a magazine that says, you know, 30 and flirty and thriving or whatever. It's just a number that's in her head. She's like, oh, like these people. It's not literally everybody wants to be 30. Yeah. Um, I, I just love the title of this one. Worthless, stupid, whole, wholesome crap. They spelled wholesome wrong as W-H-O-L-E-S-A-M. Whole Sam. Crap. And then their review says this... I'm going to trust the review. Well, I love this one. This movie sucked, and I hated it. In brackets, big surprise. I mean, (laughs) big surprise implies a lot of people are like, you mean horrible horror films user on IMDb hated this? I'm not surprised with that. Like, how pretentious this person is. Big surprise, I hated it. Nobody knows or cares who you are, horrible, wholesome, wholesome horror films, whatever your name is. Uh... (laughs) Um, some of the other titles here are so bad that it hurts. It's like a parody movie that parodies itself. All of these people are just missing the point. But anyways, um, uh, so critically we did that. Um, uh, stupid user reviews we did that. Uh, let's look at box office. So I think this movie's kind of forgotten that it was a big enough hit because this movie comes out April twenty third, two thousand four. 
comes out just after Jennifer Garner's birthday, uh, and it opens number two at the box office, $21 million. Number one at the box office, opening barely a million more than this, is Man on Fire with Denzel Washington, the Tony Scott movie. Great movie. Everybody remembers that movie's being a big hit. I mean, this movie opened just behind that, uh, so it's actually crazy. I mean, it had a very big opening weekend. Um, overall box office, uh, so this thing made 90-something million dollars domestically, uh, ninety-six million dollars domestically. There we go. So just shy of a hundred million dollars, which is actually really impressive for two thousand four. Uh, finished um around twenty to twenty-five spot in the year-end box office. Uh, and I'm having trouble finding exactly where it finished, but just shy of a hundred million dollars. There we go. Uh, so anything else we have to do on this one? Uh, plot keywords. We're not going to bother going through those. Let's just say that uh, spin the rapist is probably one of them. Uh, buy, rent, or bin, Jamie. Can this one be obvious? Uh, buy. Of course, buy. I mean, I love this movie. Like, I love this movie. I am buying this movie. I have talked with this movie for three hours, and it's a romantic comedy. Uh, and we're not going to talk about the other Jennifer Garner movies this long, I doubt. But uh, this movie is just that good. We won't. Okay, are you putting your foot down on that, or are you just... Yes. Because one of the movies coming up, I think you like even more than this. Okay. All right, well, in two weeks, we're going to be talking about that movie, Draft Day. But next week, we have The Odd Life of Timothy Green, which you said you don't think you've seen before. No, I haven't. It's it's kind of a weird, crazy plot, but it feels like a classic-styled family drama. Basically, you have Joel Edgerton and Jennifer Garner playing this couple who can't conceive. They really want a child. They wish for a child. And then the next day, a child grows out of their garden. Uh, so they have a child that literally has grown to be like you know, a 10-year-old kid overnight. Uh, it sort of reminds me of like those more family-friendly, dramatic movies Disney did. Like John Travolta's movie Phenomenon. Very different type story, but similar type feel to this. I really like this movie. I saw it a couple times when it first came out. Haven't seen it in years though, but this will be the movie next week. Are you looking forward to it? Because we get Jennifer Garner and Joel Edgerton. Like if I could pick another person to do a month on, it would probably be Joel Edgerton. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I know that you really liked it. Yeah, and uh, after that, we're going to do Draft Day, and then we're going to wrap up the month with Peppermint, her return to action movies. So, um, fantastic start to the month, Jamie. Just shy of three hours. We did it. Give me five. All right. All right. Um, I didn't even miss. No, I didn't. Other things we have going on, just the Breaking Bad episodes, the 24 episodes, uh, and whatever movies are coming out this month. I We might do a couple of reviews this month for some movies coming out. But uh, That's it for now. My name is Colin, and uh, I now know what second base is. And my name is Jamie, and Razzle Red! Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.